everybody welcome to we bought a mic for a special fourth bonus listomania this year wow our first time top first time viewings is i that, is that what we're calling it i was yes yeah, so i was brainstorming like how do we get rich off of this podcast right. and what people love is when we put the it on list, the stock market the lists just keep going for like a month or two mm-hmm. yeah like last year we had the decade list that went exactly until like march that went that took <laughs> us to the pandemic shutdown yeah and that's what uh funded our truly fortune that we're just bathing in right now. How do we take it to the next level? And this uh, is an idea I had that I actually think genuinely is a good idea um, because most of the truly like top tier shit I watched in 2020 was not from 2020 because this is the the more underrated part of streaming services. Like in terms of like the, the, the discourse around them uh, is they are just full of shit. Like they're full of things from every single year that you can watch whenever you want. They are creating original content. Yes. But the the gems can be buried in like the annals of of netflix and you can only see it you know if you happen to trigger their algorithm in a way that gives you the right category at the top of your screen or whatever um and a lot of yeah so what i watched a lot of five star stuff this year that just wasn't discussed at the end of the year and i was like well this is what like colored my whole year and i know harry friend of the podcast guest because and and it's great to have you on uh for this one because i know that you what like made a point to watch a ton of new shit this year yeah because basically um for most of my viewing time i usually kind of drift towards new movies and television shows and hbo and fx and all this stuff and i just have had a quickly just for years just a growing pile of blind spots and movies that i've missed and old classics and this year what better time i just said fuck it i'm going to sit down and if if it's something i have never seen before i will watch it i'm not going to go back to the well with with comfort watches or things that are close to my heart i want to just try random stuff and not give it a lot of thought. So by, by my count, I got a letterbox this year. I have seen welcome to the club. I made it. I, I counted. Uh, I have seen 201 movies this year nice. uh, or 2020. Yeah. yeah. So I felt good about it. And uh, yeah, as same with y'all, uh, same with you, Drew, I've seen a lot of five-star movies and yeah. um, I'm really, really happy about yeah. a lot of them. It was a great experiment. And uh, by the way, we're not just discussing movies today, although it's yeah. going to mostly be movies for sure. But I also wanted to include TV because I had one particular thing that I just needed to discuss that I haven't gotten to talk mm-hmm. about enough. Um, Law and Order SVU. Mm-hmm. That's right. I, I wish it, really, to really- watch that for the first time <laughs> would be a revelation. I've Luckily, my mom, that was the first adult content she started letting, <laughs> letting me watch in like middle school was Law and- the rape <laughs> show. <laughs> Son, you need to see some Chris Maloney in your life. And yeah, it was, it was literally it. because she just loved Chris Maloney and Melissa <laughs> Hargitay. Like those are her two biggest crushes. Uh, that's awesome. Well, we're here. We're going to get right into it. Um, 
we're going to try to do it quick because last time we had a guest on for a list, we went for over three hours. Holy yeah, shit. We went like six and a half hours long. And <laughs> I don't even so, know what got cut. And Harry, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have a job. <laughs> I do actually okay, have a we're job. We need to wrap up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys don't know you're, you're in a fugue state. That podcast is still going. You're imagining yeah. all this. So you're oh never, my God, it's a podcast within a podcast. I would love <laughs> that. Um, well, right. if this is your first time listening, Welcome. I'm Ernest. <laughs> I am uh, List Master Hunt Hunter. I'm just Drew, and I'm just here. And I'm Harry again. This is our special bonus Listomania. We're happy to do it for you. We're, ha- we're happy to bring you the goods, and then we'll get right back to our regularly scheduled programming after this week. But we just had to get this one in yeah. with Harry because it's a <clears throat> special one and because of the state of the world and us being in kind of lockdown quarantine stay at home mode we had an opportunity to watch more uh non-new release stuff and of course everything getting pushed out of the calendar Mm -hmm. of course you know the opportunity was right there to do a special episode about it so that's what we're here to do how about we get right into it? Uh, well, so before we start, I just have one quick oh. caveat that I oh. want to throw in for my list. Oh. Um, I devoted a whole oh. episodes to uh, Best Picture winners, so I did not include any Best Picture winners on my list. Amadeus would be on my list. Films like that that I saw for the first time would definitely be on there. Crash. I didn't include any movies from... <laughs> I've seen that movie like 17 or 18 times. Sure. You know that about me. I know. Um, I didn't include any movies from 2019 or 2020. Because like if it was a 2019 movie that I was just like catching up on the end of the year, I was like, ah, that doesn't really count. Don't want to throw that in there. Also, um, I tried to curate my list a little bit to make it a reflection of the moods that I went through throughout the year. Whenever I first made the this highs list, and the lows. Well, yeah. Whenever <laughs> I first made this list, I got really into a lot of foreign films, specifically like a lot of like French New Wave stuff and some like Akira Kurosawa cuts that I had never seen before. And when I very first made my list, uh, eight or nine out of my top ten were all foreign language films, and I was like, "Let's I, rethink things." Yeah, a let's bit. let's change this up a little bit. Do I have ten films that are better than The Four Hundred Blows or Les Samurai? Probably not. But you That's know, okay. I, yeah. It's, okay. I'm, I'm trying to give give the listeners a little a little peek behind the curtains for me. Ooh. I had going on. Um, and right. As a reminder, if you haven't listened to any list episodes before, if there is overlap, we wait to have the discussion until the person who has the highest on the list mentions it. So don't know if there's going to be too much overlap tonight, but we'll try to keep things moving fairly quickly. Um, Harry, you're the guest. Let's start with you. Number 10. All right. So, uh, yeah, not as much um, preamble as Hunter, uh, but uh, my big thing this year <laughs> was... I got I to gotta be the caveat. Guy. Just absolutely <laughs> every, every group's got to have one. No, sorry. God is ass. Uh, no, so I watched a shit ton of movies this year, and, um, you know, I love being critical about things and kind of dissecting them and looking at them from every angle. But I, I think the fa- my favorite uh, viewings are the ones that kind of reach me on an emotional level where, where I feel something I wasn't expecting. And um, that's kind of where movies become magic to me so that's a lot of my movies so make me number 10 uh, <laughs> again i had no i had no rhyme or reason but i did have like trends where i fell into one director or one actor and the big one this year was actually tom cruise i've seen a yes. seen a lot God, of tom cruise movies this year hard. and uh, the one that kind of blew me away uh was risky business wow. which uh i just also, yeah. also saw that for the first time this year 
And, you know, I, I don't know if this, this was your experience, but I, I knew Risky Business from that really famous scene where he slides on the on the uh, wood floor in his underwear and his shirt and he's rocking out. Yeah. And it's an 80s movie. So I'm figuring it's like a really kind of, you know, like teen comedy, kind of like living high. Risky Business is a super melancholy, almost bitter movie about just being in a weird, confused state where you're not quite grown up. It's, 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 it's a teen movie that's really severe where Tom Cruise becomes a pimp and it's, it's funny and fun in a lot of places, but there is a, a real sadness to that movie the whole way through. And it just, it, it really blew me away and how much more emotionally varied and, and deep that it was than what I was expecting. Um, and Tom Cruise looks like a genuine ass tadpole embryo person in that movie. It's really, <laughs> it was his, it was his breakout. It really looks like, like the, like the egg hatches and that's yeah. Tom Cruise before he evolves into the main Pokemon. Like it's, that it's, was, his. yeah, it's hard to under like on emphasize the fact that this isn't just an eighties movie. It's early eighties and this is yeah. Tom Cruise. So this movie was shot 38 years ago. <laughs> so crazy. Starring Tom Cruise. That's insane. Uh, yeah, no, I really, I really, really loved it. Um, and I, it made me feel um, sad, but in a good way. One of my biggest takeaways watching this movie earlier this year was like, I, cause you know, yeah, you see Tom Cruise sliding with his socks and you're like, oh, this is just like a fun romp of a movie, but I didn't expect it to get like as dark and serious yeah. as this movie does. Like yeah. it is about a guy running like an essentially like a, a porn kind of rig out of his house while his parents are out of town. Like that is the premise of the movie. And it gets, it escalates from there. Tom Cruise is a high schooler trying to pick up an adult prostitute, <laughs> his woman. But like, this is like, it's easy to see that it's one of those performances that when you see it, you're like, who the fuck is this guy? I want him in mm. every movie that we make now. Like it's mm -hmm. easy to see why this was such a star making performance coming up party. Yeah. All right. Beautiful pick. All right. That's Harry's number 10. Let's keep it going. Hunter number 10. Uh, my number 10 is uh, a big, uh, big blind spot for me going into this year. That is the all time classic rom-com when Harry met Sally. Oh God. Ooh, I love that. Yes, fucking movie. sir. I yes, love sir. that movie. I, so this is a movie that I'm pretty sure I saw when I was like a little kid. Cause I know my mom and my sister, are both huge Nora Ephron fans, Rob Reiner fans. So mm -hmm. I feel like this was on in the house, but this was essentially like a blind watch for me. Like I had never been able to watch it like as an adult and appreciate the themes and the writing that is behind this movie. But this script hasn't aged a day. Like the script no. is fucking beautiful. These are conversations that people still have to this day about if you have like where does sex fit in? Like, can you be friends with somebody that you're having sex with? And all these like meta themes that the film is juggling. Mm -hmm. This was a very early quarantine movie for me. Like, I think that I watched this in April when everything just started to shut down. And I was like laying in bed with my girlfriend, Gaia girlfriend of the pod. And, uh, <laughs> we were like sitting there. I was like, Hey, you know, I've always wanted to see this movie. And she was like, okay, yeah, just put it on. She was like playing our switch. And like, after like 15 minutes, she was even more sucked into everything than I was. It's, and it's a powerful it's thing. So does. unbelievable yes. how long ago it came out and how almost, yeah. And how yeah. almost all of it is fresh. Um, and I, how also you can just, you can trace uh, the lineage of almost every rom-com that has come since. Yes. To it. Yes. It's insane. Oh my God. 
it's it's the it's the progenitor it's the very first not to just completely copy uh, hunter but like yeah i watched this the first time also it just blew me away on like how like nice sounds backhanded sometimes but it's such a nice pleasant movie that is not that's not an easy thing to do when you do it well uh, in its own way and uh the writing's killer and the jokes are great and you're right Dre, it just it feels yeah fresh and still it, it uh well because also a lot of people would point to the real like genesis of all this as being like annie hall um yes. which does which, make plenty of sense but this movie is almost more important in my opinion because it's it's woody allen if he gave a single shit about the female perspective, <laughs> like you it's get, that, you yeah. get so much of, of both sides. Like the characterization of every character is sufficiently colored in for like their role in the no movie. No slight to Diane, to Diane Keaton though. Yeah. It's not no. her fault. No, it's not her fault. But like the, yeah, the, like those movies are from a single perspective and this movie is uh, vibrant. Like it, it comes from every direction. It's not just one single person's vision of what romance is. Even more so than that, because honestly, I really loved Annie Hall kind of despite the Woody. Oh, I mean, it's, yeah, it all, it's a, it's a legendary it's right movie. Alley. <laughs> but when Harry met Sally feels fresh in the pop culture in a way that Annie, Annie Hall feels like every indie movie now that's being made is basing itself off of Annie Hall. Every Noah Baumbach movie you see, like he needs to just like write a check of any money that he gets in and send that to Woody Allen, because that's the reason why Noah Baumbach has a career. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, <laughs> and Wes Anderson, Sally, honestly, when Harry met Sally is more so for like, even like the most trash rom-coms owe something to this. And that's kind of something that's great about uh, the art form. I think I kind of sad that rom-coms have died. Uh, yeah. Like that. I think that especially Noah Ephron written rom-coms like this, you got mail is a fucking banger of a movie sleepless in Seattle. Of course, another classic, but like, now it seems like all these rom-coms just go straight to Netflix. And some of them are like pretty good. Tell the boys I've loved before, stuff like that. Set it up. Mm-hmm. So, set it up. Yeah. But mm-hmm. so many of them are fucking awful and <laughs> all kind of stemming from the same tree, which is this massive piece of pop culture. Interesting uh, hand in hand here with risky business, you know, the, the underwear scene and the fake orgasm in the, <laughs> mm-hmm. in the restaurant mm-hmm. scene, like the just this orgasm is unbelievable. It's, it's this so one funny. pinpoint that everybody tries to define the movie by. And it's so much more than that. Yeah. She, uh, she listen, my hottest take, she goes too big in that scene. Meg Ryan. Wow. That's the point of the scene. I know, but it, it took me out of it because it was like, this character would really have every single person in a whole restaurant listen to her come. Like, <laughs> real, would anyone on earth really do that? No. It's a movie. It's, no, it's, it's not. It's not real. <laughs> the combination of Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan just talking with each other, I could watch that yeah, for well, like 12 hours. And it's, it's great because Billy Crystal is basically Woody Allen, but with a soul. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's, in fact, he's really in good. fact, uh, a little bit too much soul when he did blackface famously. Anyway, <laughs> don't forget my number it. Ten. <laughs> <laughs> Your number 10 is 12 years of sleep. Right, yeah. No, my number 10 is one that uh, you can also draw like a very faint line from these two movies to its basic instinct. Hell yeah. Ooh, oh, that movie's Damn. great. So yeah. saucy. Ah, Paul Verhoeven. Verhoeven's take on like a really, really stupid, fun uh, noir film with the femme fatale, uh, with the, you know, uh, stoic, not even stoic, but just like the, the true tragic protagonist 
I would say stoic, but his tragic flaw is a little bigger than your average stoic guy. <laughs> so <laughs> his tragic horny. flaw is that he killed a bunch of people and he's divorced and his wife died. And, <laughs> and also uh, he can't stop like doing cocaine and drinking. And <laughs> he's a Michael disaster. Douglas, Michael Douglas sucks so bad in this movie. He shouldn't have a job. The whole movie falls apart if you think about it for two seconds. And that's totally fine because oh. it's a fun, dumb movie. And it's. it's- it makes me really, really happy and also just wistful that this was actually one of the most financially successful movies of 1994 or whenever it came out. It's a it's huge like, bummer, you know? It's but, his whole, Verhoeven just takes those 80s and like early 90s aesthetics and tones and just cranks it to fucking 12. And that's like a great example where it it seems normal. The plot sounds normal for you to describe it. But if you watch it, it's like it's like you're you're in a fever dream. It's insane. It's, it's like you're watching a music video. <laughs> like, yeah. You're like, are you kidding me? It's better than that. Yeah. Like if you try to follow the plot of a music video, you're like, this is nonsense. But like if it's a really great music video, you're like, but it fits. And this movie fits itself. <laughs> like it fits its <laughs> own vibe that it's it creates. Um, because the the script is cranked the fuck up, like you said, and the performances are too. Sharon Stone is, you know, it, it for all the hype that her performance in this movie gets, it deserves maybe even more. It's it yeah. is like one of the more legendary performances where like it's like I said when we talked about it, the the whole movie has to hinge around the fact that this is a girl that you would die to fuck (laughs) and she'll do it yeah like Like, that is really really like it's not just about being hot you know what i mean it's about having that allure where it's like you know what i don't care what happens to me afterward (laughs) this is the peak of existence it's like this is heroin yeah (laughs) another another link here of the the scene that everybody points to the flashing scene Mm. you know like well there's this there's this through line already of like movies that get pinned down to this one moment this is so much more this is another thing i discussed when when i talked about it It, it, it's so reduced to that scene because like vagina in film was such like a revelation it's so much all over the movie (laughs) yeah it's so much more it's tits (laughs) but that scene itself the flashing scene it's not just like like i don't that scene's not that sexual to me it's like horrifyingly like no it's like they are in a they like there's a monster in this room that is going to eat them like look at fucking newman she in that scene yeah she's like one thousand percent owning them by by showing and almost even without context you can understand that because like i'd seen like that gif one million times um, <laughs> of course and like i never knew the context of it but you can tell in her just in her face you, like that she is doing it as a power move um yeah. and also then obviously because it's verhoven it's so over the top and it just cuts back and forth to like newman from seinfeld sweating his ass <laughs> off like <laughs> Just, just mush, just mush. Yeah, in the just face like nutting like on the fucking floor <laughs> over there. <laughs> I, I love Verhoeven. Basic Instinct's one of my favorites. It, yeah, that it's, just it's so, so dumb, crazy. it's so insane, and like it, just every part of it is pitch perfect. The, it, 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 the rising action, it keeps going and going. And you're like, this can't get stupider, and it keeps getting stupider, but in the best way. Like, there's a reason it made my list. Like, calling it, this is a compliment to call it stupid. It's good, stupid. Yeah. I, I. It's almost how I would describe certain comedies as like good, dumb, because those are my favorite comedies. <laughs> this is a good, dumb drama. Like it's, it's very rare to be able to pull well, off this tone. It's an erotic thriller. It's not just, it's got, drama. yeah, of course it's, it's, it's got, it's kind of like a mood piece, but the mood is 
being awake for three days on substances you shouldn't be taking still like that's yeah. kind of the vibe i don't know how, that's the, how it feels for the me. vibe is like early 80s but it's a 90s movie <laughs> yeah it's very it's very strange and it's it's kind of alchemy how well it works because like mm. i wouldn't have believed that i would love it this much um but i do it's great basic so, instinct is drew's number 10 yeah what's yours my number 10 is wes anderson's the darjeeling limited mm. nice. interesting uh, yeah big blind spot in terms of like trying to complete a big filmmaker's uh whole catalog for me and there's some other ones that i need to revisit that i haven't seen in a long time like bottle rocket um royal tenenbaums um but this one i had never seen until this year mm. and i i talked about it briefly and like the more I thought about it, and I, I rewatched a little bit of it the other day, um, it doesn't really feel that much like a Wes Anderson movie. And I think that lends itself to being greater than a lot of people give credit for. A lot of people knock it for being a little bit like out of step with his sensibilities. Mm. And my favorite Wes Anderson movie is The Grand Budapest Hotel, which is like well, probably yeah. the most Wes Anderson movie of all time. Like he goes all in on that one. Darjeeling Limited, he kind of tries something way different. He doesn't really go all in on the things that he's been kind of pigeonholed into being, uh, you know, derivative of, of himself of his own style he he goes for more wide screen in uh on location type of cinematography he he likes to kind of hang back a little bit for more character driven moments yeah he really goes in on the relationship between these three brothers and and lets the actors act without having to stick directly to his weirdo writing style um mm. i really really enjoyed it i think it deserves another look for, uh, you know, regarding the the uh, filmography of Wes Anderson. I think that the the fact that it is out of step with the rest of his stuff um, is is admirable. I I really think so. I think it, it shows another side to him. I I like as always the things he brings to the table, like the colors and the 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 just overall kind of texture that the look of the film has. And again, the the core story of this of these three brothers and what they're going through, um, what they're facing and sort of like the, the tragedy that they're having to deal with um, and how it affects, um, you know, their them personally. I think it works really well. Uh, it's uh, Adrian Brody, look, uh, Jason Schwartzman and um, Owen, Owen Wilson. Wilson. Yeah, you talking Lovely about movie. that movie. You talking about that movie uh, was actually more enjoyable than when I watched it this year. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> but maybe I'll have a better time this time. My my whole thing was like, not that this is a debate, but like, uh, you're right that it is kind of out of step and isn't he's not doing his usual things. But I don't really know what he's bringing to the table when he's not doing those things. But maybe I should give it another go. Yeah. Anyway, it's Wes Anderson. <laughs> it's it's he's one of those guys that like you either you either ride with him or you don't. Um, yeah. Just because he he just goes hard, and I think this one. It's just a little something different, and I think that's worth admiring. The um, Darjeeling Limited. Also, a good slant in it is the semi-autobiographical Owen Wilson slant. The nose. This was very, yeah. yeah. Also, very shortly after his suicide attempt. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He does great. It's a great performance. He's a good actor, man. Uh, that's my number ten. We're on to number nine, Harry. 
All right. Number nine. Uh, so I watched Climax by Gaspar No, And mm-hmm. I don't know a ton about this guy. I mean, I know his whole deal and his... Uh, I watched one of his movies, uh, Loving, I believe, not Loving. What was the um, Love? The next, oh, Love. Yeah. So Love was trash and I really didn't like it. But um, yeah, Clim- it's not, just porn. It's just porn. Uh, Climax uh, is pretty much exactly what it looks like, which is just a very immersive, in your face, just bad fucking trip with a bunch of people. And um, it, it's, there's really like, it's kind of hard to, say what I liked about it, but just it was trying to get me into a very queasy place and kind of descend and kind of get make you feel worse and worse as the acid kicked in. They all got more insane. And um it just worked. It was the kind of movie where like it didn't feel like any time had passed when I was watching it. And uh just as an experience, it just it it uh, blew me away. I'll be Climax. honest. Um I saw Climax in theaters and it was one of the most upsetting movies that I've ever- <laughs> I can fucking picture, I like, man. I had an anxiety attack in the movie theater while watching that movie. Like it, Jesus. And yeah. I think that's, I really want to rewatch it to like give it another chance, but I'm scared <laughs> too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I saw rough. it. I was, I was a little bit high when I saw it. Um, and I think that that was why I had very, a very bad time. I was like, oh yeah, it's the guy made into the void. Like I, I'll, let's get I trippy, can, bro. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I don't even think that I did. That. I think that I might've had like four beers and then gone to it. And I was like, oh fuck, man, <laughs> I don't feel good. I mean, it's, it's what it is. It's a vehicle for bad feelings, but in that it, it's incredibly successful. I really liked it. Climax, number nine, Hunter, number so nine. Mine, uh, it might be one of the one or two that we actually have to wait for. My number nine is going to be Avatar television series. Yeah, we're going to wait on that one. Yeah, we have to wait on that one. My number nine? Your yeah, number nine. The Viva Itch. Hell. Yeah, hell yeah. That movie this, kicks this ass. This movie's a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. By Bobby the Eggman. Who- <laughs> We love on the pod, um, obviously. <laughs> obviously, in 2019, uh, the lighthouse like sh- like rocked my fucking world, um, and I still like that uh, a marginal amount more than I like The Witch um, because that movie uh, dares to be a lot more fun than The Witch. The Witch is just dour, man. It's just like gross and like unfortunate and you just feel bad the entire time you're watching it and yet it's still like one of the better movies i've ever seen <laughs> that it's like i the witch is in my top three horror movies flat period like i you know not to ape on hunter again but like movie experiences like that most horror movies are like lulls and highs and lows and building tension and what have you and this movie like maintained a sense of dread so long in the movie theater that like me and the people that we were watching we were physically uncomfortable it's the yeah. most like v- most the most like physically affecting experience i've ever had in a theater i, I that movie is incredible pure, yeah it is really just pure dread my the, question the is, time. is it the vava itch with subtitles <laughs> that's in your top 10 i watched it with subtitles <laughs> yeah i need and i i honestly wouldn't really not want to watch it without them right. i think the like, first time i watched it i think that i did see it in theaters back in like 2015 it's like i don't know what's and going on i man. was just kind of all in it was like pure mood piece but i was like i don't know the fucking the word <laughs> i don't know man you make deal with the billy goat <laughs> it's just yeah it's immaculate it's it's 
perfectly shot. You couldn't shoot it better. Um, performance wise, it's it's off the charts. Like there's really nothing you can ding it for except if you just don't go for this type of shit, which is yeah. nothing I could blame anybody for because this strikes a very specific mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the balance. Difference, the difference between the witch, the bitch, the vavitch, and uh, the lighthouse is like they, you know, they share a lot. But oh, they're yeah. extremely. Oh, different. they're crazy different. Yeah. And I cannot wait to see what he does with the Northman if he goes oh my even God. further. Because you, you know, the the witch is like it's his first movie, but it's like it's him not showing us his full arsenal, not yeah. even close. It also, I mean, with the Northman, from everything we've read about it, it definitely seems like he's not going to exit the realm of indecipherable English. <laughs> stay, stay there. I'm Which, into well, it. Well, yeah, that's it's <laughs> honestly incredible because you know usually by by a very you know relatively successful indie filmmaker's third movie, they've compromised something, and there's just nothing being compromised with this man. <laughs> like he does exactly <laughs> what he wants to do. I, and it's, you know, I just it's fucking awesome. There's no one like him. Yeah, I just want to say about that. Like, you know, every horror, a lot of horror movies, like you know, by the end, everyone's going to die. But like in The Witch, especially when you were watching it from like minute one, you're like, oh, these people are utterly doomed. Like this <laughs> is, like you know, every minute of that movie that this is going to go bad. You know, and that's great. Yeah. Like that kind of feeling, like that. I'll never forget watching that. In the yeah, theater. because it's not it's not like a, you know, like a log cabin type, you know, cabin in the woods thing where you're like, OK, who dies first? Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. No, you're like they're they're doomed. But I have no clue how this like yes. plays out, like <laughs> because it's you know, it's certainly based in some very old school uh, like Wiccan, <laughs> like Christian <laughs> mythology shit. Well, but the thing with Eggers is he obsesses over historical documents. Like he read actual literature from the Salem era, 17th century Mm -hmm. colonies that were actually like freaking out about the possibility of witches in their call in their communities. Yeah. Like he poured over these things and made something that feels like he just time traveled back to that period yeah, him and his uh brother who co-writes with right. him uh max the eggman <laughs> they to get like just a very bizarre household to imagine these two awful we- weird hate, boys i would hate <laughs> just really strange boys like there's a there's an apartment opening up in either quentin tarantino's house or the eggman house which house are you moving <laughs> we, we, want, we want to do a whole podcast on this the eggman never comes out of his room like that is that is a, yeah, an introvert. Yeah. Drew Drew pitched an idea for an episode of Quarantine House. Mm-hmm. Who would you rather quarantine with? The Eggman I would Brothers. Shoot myself. The Eggman Brothers, and there's like some buried um, gasoline that you can drink, <laughs> like or PTA and Tarantino, and there's a mountain. Of there, there's a good amount of coke, but not quite enough. And, and they're gonna, they're gonna, no f- <laughs> allowed in the house. Either. They're gonna fight over the coke. And not enough tell. coke is the whole time. You can tell they're gonna fight over it by the end of it. <laughs> one more thing about the about the Vava itch um, is that I think that one of the best things to happen in 2020 in a year that's been kind of shit overall is that people are finally learning to appreciate Anya Taylor Joy. Mm. Oh, Queen's Gambit. After Queen's Gambit. Yes. Because Anya Taylor Joy is just one of the greatest actors that we have right now. And she's been that for years, but now Mm -hmm. everybody knows her face. She's she's serving face and she knows how to do it, folks. It's interesting because (laughs) she doesn't look like somebody from colonial times new england 
Well, like, it's her like, family looks the well, people cast in the family do, but she doesn't. But it's, you never think about that. Yeah, well, it's like I've said very famously: you in a, in a period piece, you can only have one hot person. Gotcha. <laughs> having any more than that, you're yeah, really you pushing got Kate it. Dicky, and that's it. <laughs> that's mean. No, I right. love Kate Dicky. Kate Dicky's the fucking best. Um, but yeah, no, it's just it's it's an absolutely lovely, uh, horrible movie. I loved it. Would you like to live? Yeah, Black Philip is like a pantheon <laughs> character. He's yeah, one of the best characters I've ever seen. The very end of that movie is one of my favorite endings ever. That's, it's pretty you remarkable. Like stand, you like stand up and cheer. Yeah, you're you're just ready. You're yeah. like you're like fuck yes. Same with the lighthouse. The the rising action. This man is very good at that. His his mm. final acts are unparalleled so far. Um, the witches Drew's number nine. My number nine is Steven Spielberg's AI artificial intelligence. Yeah. I haven't seen um me neither. <laughs> I'm, I'm a Spielberg boy through and through. Had never seen this movie. Uh talked about it back when I saw it and I just want to reiterate like how kind of bold this movie is. Everybody hinges on the ending and how effective it is because essentially what this movie does is it ends and then it keeps going for like another 20 minutes or so. Um, and then it ends again. And that stretch of like, you know, what you could call an epilogue is extremely divisive. And it was divisive back when the movie came out and people were like walking out of the theater. Like, why am I so sad after watching a Spielberg movie? You know, like this is depressing <laughs> as fuck. And, and it just stands out in this catalog as something that um, people didn't resonate with as much as they did with other things during that time period. This I think this came out in like 2000 or 2001. Do you think that this is better Haley Joel than Sixth Sense? I would have to revisit Sixth Sense. I haven't seen that in in years. Um, but he is straight up in this movie. It is one of the best child performances I've ever seen, if not probably the best, because he plays a, an android. He plays a robot boy and he does it with such precision where you're so unsettled and creeped out and you want to look away, but you're also drawn to it and endeared by it and warmed by it somewhat it's extremely difficult acting what he's doing also jude law is in here and he just straight up looks like a robot like i don't think that jude law is a human man after watching this movie he just looks like an android straight up he plays a guy named gigolo joe yeah hey um, I got maybe I should check this out. You know what I it's mean? A, it's a fascinating movie. He famously got uh, got it done after uh, Kubrick worked on it. It was supposed to be Kubrick's movie before he passed away. Yeah, then the fucking coward died, and uh, and Spielberg was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna get this across the finish line. And he does a really good job at emulating Kubrick. It is a little weird to know like Spielberg is doing Kubrick. Well, wait, did they did they restart? Sh- like, was Kubrick Kub- shooting? No, Kubrick never. Actually okay, started so then shooting. like Spielberg did get to shoot. But that's the weird thing about this is that Kubrick is, despite the fact that he made some successful movies, Kubrick is like one of the biggest fucking weirdos ever, and Spielberg is the most popcorn pop culture IP director. Yeah, it's of a all clash, time. and so. That's why this movie has always been interesting that I really want to check it out because Same. to see how those two things clash with each other. Yeah, it, it, I honestly think it works. It's weird at first in the opening act or so when you're like extremely aware that he's emulating Kubrick and it's like, OK, he's it's it's like pastiche almost. But as the movie gets going, um, the, the Spielberg side of it really kicks in. 
and it never fully takes over. It's still extremely different from his other stuff, but there is this magic to it that Spielberg always brings to the table. It's just different. It's just in a different way and a little bit of a sadder way. And it's a really interesting view of the future and, and how machines might be kind of extremely commonplace um, but also, you know, somewhat disposable um, in, in, you know, like th- think about this, like if, if machines were to reach a certain level of, of sentience, right. And, and achieve some level of, of closeness to consciousness, but they were still as um disposable as they are today mm-hmm. how everybody just gets a new iphone every year and and tosses the old one away mm-hmm. imagine if that iphone had a conscious and was still alive after it was tossed away there that's the kind of energy that this movie is playing with you know what if that iphone was longing after you and loved you after you tossed it in the garbage mm. It's some weird it's, shit. It's, it's such weird. a crazy idea. <laughs> you explaining it just makes it sound insane. I want to watch this. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm I'm looking at a still of Jude Law in this movie. He looks like a robot. Mm, yeah, he looks mm. like more than that, brother. <laughs> <Do> you... <laughs> <laughs> All he, right, like yeah. it just makes you really realize that, like, if we could achieve perfect uh, AI that replicates human consciousness, Jude Law's hairline would never have ascended. Yeah. <laughs> very that's a special idea (laughs) that's my number nine uh we're on to number eight harry number eight so uh this one is probably the biggest surprise for me on my list where i just was shocked at how much i liked it uh la la land uh is like yeah so i don't like movies about hollywood because i find hollywood to be very uniquely sad because it's the place where dreams go to die and i didn't realize that this movie is kind of diving into that incredibly sad feeling it is it's it's got lovely music and it's beautiful but the, the core of that movie is a very human sadness of things not working out and maybe working out but not the right times and just kind of hanging on to that melancholy feeling that's all stuff that i just love anyway i didn't expect that to be in this movie whatsoever so like by the time we get to the ending where there is just this rueful sad moment between two people that have moved on like that it just it just hit me like like a truck uh i i really 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 like this movie i don't know if i like it more than whiplash but it's definitely one of the best things i saw this year yeah, I don't like it quite as much as Whiplash, and but that doesn't take away from any of my enjoyment of La La Land. I think La La Land is like a stone cold masterpiece. I fucking love La La Land personally. I uh, had the take that has probably aged like milk uh, that thought <laughs> La La Land was better than Moonlight. Um, God, which, woo! Yeah, woo, woo. like I said, aged like some whole milk that's just been sitting out for five years. Fuck. Um, well, but he did save jazz, so we have to respect say, yeah, that. Yeah, Ryan Gosling saved respect jazz. Uh, one up <laughs> your move, Barry Jenkins. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean the fucking the music in this movie is really fucking good. People criticize it because they're just like, "Well, it's not really a musical because there's only like five songs." But like, you know what uh, is lacking in a lot of musicals is a good story, a good movie, and yeah. this has a fucking killer plot that really works. And it the last act resonates so much because while there aren't all these traditional like 
songs that you can sing along to there's traditional vignettes in the music that keep coming up over and over again the way that that works in the climax is just fucking beautiful Oh yeah, the fully musical crescendo yes, that happens. Yeah, yeah, it's just that shit is. It's a fucking, fucking relief. It's oh. that. Yeah, that you could argue definitely that that's the best. Uh, like two minutes of filmmaking that Chazelle's ever done. Mm-hmm. It's it's like wildly good. It's magical. Yeah, it's it's a great movie. Uh, I don't go for musicals because there's often too much music <laughs> <laughs> and not enough movie and plot and uh, care. And there's a lot of that in this movie instead. Uh, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of La La Land. And like you said, I think, I think seeing the- that in theaters with you in front of the pod, Colin, and we like walked out of the theater and just sat in my car and like silence for like five minutes. And we're like, is that the greatest movie ever made? <laughs> Jesus. Um, the, the, I think you made the biggest point Harry up front, which is that, uh, it, this is an inherently sad movie. It's not optimistic about what Hollywood has to offer for people. No. And that, that would make this movie unwatchable. <laughs> I yeah, think. no, this if it was like, hey, everyone gets what they want. No, there's a deep sadness yeah. to this, which I even think makes though, it beautiful. Even though both of our main characters do get what they want out of Hollywood, <laughs> they just don't get and, each other. And that's yeah. enough to bring it down, you know? Yeah. Lawland, land. Harry's number eight. Hunter, you're number eight. Uh, my number eight is probably. Well, this and the next one are probably the most egregious blind spots that I had going into this year. Uh, This one was kind of criminal. I just hadn't seen it because I've seen every other movie uh, that is derivative of it and every other movie ever. It's uh, Richard Linklater's Dazed and Confused. Oh, man. That's Um, one of my all-time faves. Right, right, right. I just like, I can't believe that I hadn't seen this movie or maybe I'd see it probably saw parts of it on cable back in the day, like whenever I was growing up as a teenager and stuff like that. But to like, be able to like sit down and enjoy it and see all of these fucking characters. Like the cast of this movie is just unfucking believable. The fact that Ben Affleck is like 12th on the billing here is just, it's perfect. It's I, uh, absolutely perfect. I don't mean to interrupt you, but this actually has just turned into an, my first ever episode of <laughs> crack and crack. Oh, hey, guess what? This is also an episode of me. <laughs> You're wasting uh, my perfectly good paper. <laughs> now, wait a it's minute. Okay. Biden, <laughs> Biden's going to save the environment. That oh, crack God. was a little better than mine, so I'm just going to go ahead. And... Well, hey, now, did you watch the special features? Did you watch this? Spe- did you watch any of the director's commentary? I didn't even watch the oh, crack yet. Yeah. <laughs> you better oh, you better yeah. compost that. <laughs> I'm going to throw that yeah. on the street. <laughs> There's now so much wasted paper here. <laughs> Ernest is dying right now. We are killing the planet as we speak. Um, this is this is one of my favorite movies ever. Um, it, I don't know where it would end up on any of my list because from any technical standpoint, it's not necessarily up there. It just is a vibe and it feels right. And Linklater is the king of that. Yeah, he's, he's not, he's not a technical guy. Yeah, Linklater makes movies that just feel good. It feels good. The script is fucking great. Aside from uh, Matthew McConaughey's character has not aged great. Uh, a guy who's now in his <laughs> mid twenties trying to pick, but up he's not, it's not like he's portrayed sympathetically. No, he's exactly. no he's not at all. Not he's a piece of shit. Yeah. Nobody, like you don't want to he's, be. Yeah. He uh, sucks. Like, um, it's the honestly the only reason why this movie isn't higher on my list is because uh, Wiley Wiggins, who plays Mitch, um, that's a the tough central one. character, is just 
just gives an awful he's yeah it's floating around it's the rare this is a very rare case of a performance like really taking away from a movie in a big way it's like it's it's tough man like and you can see i'm looking at his imdb right now he was in the robert rodriguez movie the faculty in 1998 and aside from that his only other main credit is that he was in another richard linklair movie the rotoscope movie they made uh waking life in 2001 which i feel like was linklair trying to be like look guys i told you he's a good actor see and it still (laughs) didn't work out for him so that's interesting i like but Aside from him, which I talked about him whenever uh, a few months ago, whenever I first saw this movie, but it's it's just fucking incredible. I want justice for Jason London, who plays Pink in the movie. So like good, Pink, he is unbelievable. He's yet so another charismatic, yet another good actor lost to uh, never growing enough. Yeah, because that's the thing. Is another like, another good high school actor who stayed five seven, and also slowly because of that, because he wasn't getting roles because he was five seven, he also developed alcoholism. Face, you hate to yeah. see it. Tragic, because um, he is so good. He's so good. <laughs> like I can't think of like just somebody who you just like want to be. Like that is, if I would have saw this movie in eighth grade, I would just been like, I just need to find my Randall Pink Floyd. And then mm. I'll be like set. I'll yeah. be cool. And then in ninth grade, you did, and it was me. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I was sort of that guy who wasn't friends with all you the were groups. Kind of, you were kind of <laughs> like the Anthony, you were kind of like the Anthony rap of the group, honestly. <laughs> I was like the Adam Goldberg who's just like, guys, have you ever just thought about life? That was no, you weren't. <laughs> No, you were not. I'm, have I told the story of when I, I met you on the pod before, Hunter? <laughs> I don't know if you said it on the pod. The, when I met, the first time I met Hunter, because I met him through Ernest and friend of the pod, David. Yes. And it was like during lunch at our high school. And Hunter, <laughs> Hunter was talk- I walked up and Hunter was, first of all, he was even louder than he is now, even though he was only like 14 or 15. And he was talking about, he was like, yeah, like I was writing like a story about weed and I like I emailed High Times magazine to ask if they could like give me some weed. And then like the, the feds shut down my internet, man. It's like the his internet just like, his internet just like went out that it's day. Like the most like 14-year-old lie that you could ever possibly create. And I was like, I think this guy's my best friend. So I think in all reality, I was probably just like, I really wanted to be Slater. Was that was my goal? Was I could just be like, hey, I'm the cool stoner who just floats around. Yeah. Like, I did I was not that cool. <laughs> yeah. Instead, I've had the same four friends since I was 14. That's that's the dream. Lock them in. We're Dazed, living it. Dazed and confused is Hunter's number eight. Drew number eight. Speaking of egregious oversights, uh, Fight Club. I hadn't seen it until this year. Oh man! And oh, yeah. it's it's in the bottom half of my Fincher canon list. To be don't honest, talk about it with everybody. What do you say? <laughs> I said don't talk about <laughs> it. What do you mean, buddy? Um, <laughs> 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 Go watch it again. Unless. <laughs> Yeah, that's like the second rule, right? Yeah. The guy guy who forgot. <laughs> yeah, rule one was like, uh, you know, don't punch in the face. And rule, two, rule one is don't worry about it. Yeah, rule two was you can talk about it sometimes. Rule two, don't talk about it. Um, the movie rocks. It feels, when you're watching it, it just feels like huge. You know, it, it feels like it's a movie that, not necessarily like a movie that would make a shitload of money because it's so bizarre. And that a lot of those props go to Chuck uh, Pol- Polanyuk? 
Chet Poliak. Uh, I'm not trying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't want to go for writer. it. Yeah, awesome. yeah. I mean, who's just like you know a legendary uh, Gen X sort of novel writer um, who who tapped into the existentialism of that generation before and better than most of the people who try to afterward. Uh, and Fincher was a great director to take this movie over because this movie, the the plot and the movie itself have so much absurdism within them. Like it's so absolutely insane to buy into what's going on in this movie. It's, it's, it's out of this world, you know, the, this, especially because I went in knowing the twist. And so I was like, okay, this movie has to justify its existence to me because I already know and I I also felt that even if I hadn't have known that twist, I would have figured it out by the time that um, scary Tim Burton wife is, uh, you know, she, Harder. yeah, she's like confronting Edward Norton about like what's going on with him. And it's in a way that, you know, she's also talking about Tyler Durden. Like by the time that happened, I was like, I feel like I'm smart enough to, to have figured this out. But, you know, obviously probably not because most people didn't. Um, I think it was a wild, crazy twist. Yeah, it's like it a legend. Out. It's a legendary fucking twist. Um, but the base of this movie is this, uh, you know, pseudo sexual relationship in between <laughs> Edward Norton and Brad Pitt. And it's just lovely to watch every step of the way. Um, and it's also, d- despite being insane and stupid, it's fun to watch Edward Norton grow and develop a an international terrorist organization. <laughs> Okay, so that's the thing. Uh, Fight Club is so funny, especially at the end when he when he's out of control and they're all just like, "I know that's what you want us to do, sir. We'll just ignore you." And like, it just it's all like out of his hands, and it's just such like an absurd like yeah, farce. It's, it's so funny. It's I, like really fun. It's, you know? it's QAnon. It's, it's beautiful. It is QAnon. Can I can I take a moment to read one of my favorite letterboxed uh, entries of all time? It's from a uh, Brett Pitt, who's like oh, pretty yeah. big on there. Yeah. It's uh, first watch. Fight Club is the best movie ever made. Second watch, Fight Club is a deep commentary on the dangers of consumerism. Third watch, Fight Club is a disgusting cesspool of toxic masculinity. It's not as deep as its fanboys think it is. Fourth watch, Fight Club is a critique of toxic masculinity and it's deeper than its fanboys think it is. Fifth watch, Fight Club is the best satirical gay rom-com ever made. (laughs) Yeah, Drew felt all of those. so funny. I did, yeah. This is like... I hadn't seen that review yet when I talked about it on the pod. And then I saw that afterward and I was like, yes, this like, it's not just me. This is a gay movie. Like this is a movie about a gay relationship. It's about a man repressing his sexuality in Chuck. As we discussed is a gay man who wrote the novel. He's a gay man. And the person, like if you've just read like three sentences on Chuck Palahniuk, you could dismiss like, three quarters of like the criticisms against this movie where they're just like oh this is such a harmful like it's just showcasing like why men have to fight in just all toxic masculinity <laughs> and like <laughs> Chuck Palahniuk has been like yo shit's like a satire have you guys like ever heard of a farce before it's like, a funny movie guy? yeah oh it's so good it's but delightful yeah, in its weird way you know yeah it's just it's a really fun movie to watch Fincher directorially in, in a lot of shots, he did bite off more than he could chew at the time. And it looks really dated because of that. Absolutely. Um, and the way it ends is stupid and funny and silly, um, of course. But, but it, it does have one of the best needle drops like ever. Yeah, where is my mind? Yeah, it's just, you know, it's corn. 
Well, it's, <laughs> it's corny now. So that song was not a big Pixies hit at that time. No, I know it's it's, it's mind, not like, the song drop itself. It's not more cut, it's but. more the the low quality of like how it looks. Oh yeah, like, like it looks the, like shit. The digital zoom shots yeah. that look like a Creed music video. Yeah, exactly. Like, and that's <laughs> also, there's plenty of people that just straight up don't like that song. Like they don't like the guy's voice. And that's you know that that all is fine. This movie as a whole is fun and like i said it feels big despite the fact that it it's not uh accessible to everybody it just it feels like a huge movie and that's a credit to fincher and uh the original well, it was, story it itself. was a failure when it came no out. exactly it's only but grown you, since then. you can see why fincher would become what he became by watching this fight club is ruse number eight my number eight is james cameron's the abyss hell yes Ooh. stay good movie yourself. just just go off <laughs> Um, Embrace yourself, man. So Drew or uh, Hunter or Harry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned that you embarked on a couple of watch throughs um, yes. with Tom Cruise. One of my watch throughs in the early days of quarantine was James Cameron. And I Boy. didn't go through all the way with it. I still have yet to revisit Titanic and Avatar, but I watched the older stuff that I hadn't seen yet. You know, I saw. Um, True Lies. Same. I saw. Um. Uh. Well, I, I I revisited the two Terminators, and I saw the Abyss, and mm-hmm. the Abyss is one of the boldest, most insane, most <laughs> how the fuck did this actually get made movies ever, and story wise, it doesn't fully click, but filmmaking wise. It is unreal, dude. They yeah. shot this thing in these giant, giant water tanks, filled them with water. It was like these old, like nuclear testing facilities or something like that. And they were putting their cast and crew in complete and utter danger to the pressures of uh, underwater filmmaking, literal pressures. Yeah. <laughs> um, and at Harris, like, had to cry himself to sleep one night or, I did, like, I or had to like that. pull over had to like pull over driving home one night to to sob because he was so hard on himself for having a hard time making this insanely difficult movie and it all of that comes across in the movie like the 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 thrills the suspense the the edge of your seat the edge of of death type of shit you feel it. Yeah. God damn James Cameron. <laughs> such a fucking genius. I watched it and True Lies this year as well. Now, I, I didn't like as much as you did, Ernest, The Abyss. I kind of felt like it was, uh, it had so many of James Cameron's interests and parts and it was all there and it, it didn't fully mesh. Daddy. Yeah, he's a deep, <laughs> and it didn't he's fully mesh for me, but he's never, and I was just like, oh man, this guy is never, ever bad. He is always just doing it hundred and ten percent, even if the final product's a little less. Like you just, it's all there, and I it really made me kind of like respect him more. The abyss, it, it was interesting. Uh, yeah, I still, yeah, I need to dive into um, some of Cameron's work, like pre Aliens, pre T, pre uh, Terminator, and T two, and all that kind of stuff, because. That's a big blind spot for me. I've never seen The Abyss. I mean, the you two should. Terminators are incredible. T2 is probably course, the greatest yeah. action movie of all time. This one always, people always point to it as like 
the one that you can skip or the one that, you know, he was just off doing his little underwater thing. Um, and it's it's worth checking out. I think it is absolutely magnificent. Um, Michael Bean is in here. Uh, heavy Scoop McNary energy is how I described it. <laughs> and um, that's the only thing that hooked me when you talked about this. Yeah. The Scoot energy. And, and the, scoot. The, the 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 story again, you know, you've got Mary Elizabeth um, Matt Master Antonio um, who plays the Ed Harris uh, kind of ex-wife. It's an analog for what James Cameron was going through at that time. Like he was going through his own divorce um, and he was trying to work through it while making this movie, trying to cope with that you know, very personal life uh, turmoil. Um, so if you're trying to to understand the man and, and his fucked up, crazy genius brain, this is part of the of the story that tells it. And for a guy who would go on to make the biggest movies of all time, I think I think it's essential. 1989, it's it's right after Terminator and right before T2. Um, and I think it's, it's one of those movies that like would never in a hundred million years get made again, not only because movies have changed since then, but just because nobody would take the risk that this guy took making this thing. It's, it's just unheard of to put your, your people through the risk that he put them in this movie. And I'm not saying that you should do that because I think it's a fucking, Hey, ill-advised. It's on your list, so loud and clear. Okay, <laughs> it's ill-advised. You're speaking but, with your choice. You're complicit. But <laughs> they managed to finish the movie <laughs> and put it out there, and I think it rules the abyss. Awesome. Check it out. Oh, yeah. Number right. seven, Harry. My number seven. I'm realizing now. Look at my list. A lot of my movies are bummers, uh, but this is not one of them. Uh, I saw Clueless. And oh, this, baby, dude, this is one of my favorite <laughs> fucking movies. Oh my god, I was, I mean, there's no other word for it. I was blown away at how sharp and witty mm -hmm. and just like, just again, sharp as a knife with everything it's doing and the satire. And just it, it's a movie that is in complete control of its tone and its execution. And just like almost from a technical and, and thematical, just everything works in tandem perfectly. Everyone's great in it. Uh, Wallace Shawn is really good in it. I don't know why that's the one I think about a lot. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, Clueless is just this kind of thing where I'm watching it where I was like, this is just the level of craft here is so much more than I had realized. And I, I this is one where I kind of felt dumb for not watching it sooner. I, oh, I wish I would watched yeah, it before. Th this is, I've watched it probably for the first time in, I think, 2019. And this, this movie is just, it's on another plane, yeah. man. This is like... Like what we said about when Harry met Sally for rom-coms, that's this for high school movies. Yeah. People can talk about fast times all they want. That movie to me is not all that good. And this movie holds up in every respect. It's just, it's brilliantly made. I'll be honest. I still haven't actually seen Dude. it. Like, I think I saw Clueless back whenever I was a little kid, but once again, like it, not like as an adult where I can process so what I'm seeing. I'm, I'm going to say this right now. Uh, it's similar in a lot of ways, but especially weighing when it came out clueless is better mm -hmm. than mean girls is i agree oh yeah 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 obviously yeah, fair. it's yeah. it's just I, like i fucking love mean it girls. is wildly good and it also it it has like sort of almost not quite wishful fulfillment but more like a 
like a safari feel to it because you're visiting this high society high school (laughs) in LA class but it's not just pure fantasy because this school this type of school does very much exist like where this movie takes place Mm -hmm. um so you get to just uh kind of like listen in you're like a fly on the wall of this like insane stupid thing and also I think a big uh thing that makes this better than Mean Girls not to compare the two but I think it's a very natural comparison because Mean Girls is seen as sort of a contemporary of Clueless is that uh in Mean Girls your narrator like the person you are meant to relate to goes through an arc of being relatable then unrelatable then relatable again at no point in this movie is our narrator relatable (laughs) it's just like a dumb rich girl the whole time she just goes through an arc of like understanding what she is yeah um and it's just lovely to watch like it just is so much fun man silverstone it's another like I think it's an all-time legendary performance for that type of role. It's one of the best <laughs> high school performances I've ever seen in my life. She's yeah. she's on another world in this movie. Do you think I, that part of the reason because I feel like back in like 1995, that's what this movie came out in 95, right? Something like that. Um yeah. Yeah. Whenever this movie like cuz it feels like Silverstone is like almost I don't want to say wasted potential cuz she still went on to have a successful career but I feel like she is tied to this movie in a lot of ways she ended up having well it's it's kind of sad because uh because of this movie she was asked a lot to like lose weight and that caused her to develop very severe anorexia Yikes. and that That's kind of bad. yeah that kind of informed the rest of her career like that became a huge roadblock for her unfortunately because she is if you watch this movie you have no doubt and it's like Lindsay lohan like yeah. you're watching it like oh this is like the next big actress yep. like she is that good and um she she was just derailed because it's uh unethical to make young people act <laughs> any uh, any other thoughts harry before we move on you know i just i think i just said what i needed to just where it just uh every part works very very well with each other it it's very confident and is fully formed and it's one of those things where you it feels important weirdly when you're watching it it's kind of like a very very impactful kind of teen movie landmark and you can see with like with mean girls where everything kind of spins out from it yeah um it, also paul rudd yeah paul rudd's good in it <laughs> as as literally playing the stepbrother in the porn that you want to fuck <laughs> he's a king nice. he's just the king he, he the he's guy. always good you could tell even back then you're like this guy rocks i love him <laughs> Number Clueless seven. Number seven. That's right. Number seven. Uh, my number seven. I said that uh, I originally in my rough cut, I had like almost all foreign films and I did some tweaking. But this is one that was rock solid, could not move. It's 1957's Akira Kurosawa's film Throne of Blood. Mm. Um, so for people who don't know, this is Akira Kurosawa's version of Macbeth set in feudal Japan. Um Starring uh, Toshiro Mifune, who is probably one of his, probably his most prolific actor who he worked with as his time as a director. And he gives one of the most unmistakable performances that I've ever seen in my life. Like, it is just absolutely unbelievable. You are transported into this world between the work of Kurosawa and Mifune and what they do on the screen together. I know whenever I say it's his version of Macbeth, I feel like some people are like, 
kind of eyes roll to the back of their head. They're like, I'm good. I read that in uh, like 10th grade English class. I don't need to read Macbeth again or revisit that story. But I highly recommend that people check this out because even if you don't like, you're not like reading into like the allegory of it all, it still just fucking works as an incredible samurai set film, which is kind of the area where Kurosawa um, thrives the most. It's on HBO Max right now. So like and any Criterion person, and on the Criterion channel as well. Um, Criterion, I watched this movie uh, for Chiro's, um They had Shiro like Mifune's, a whole series. Yeah, he, they did a special set for his birthday uh, back in April. So very early on the quarantine, I went in a deep dive. I could have put Yojimbo or Sanjuro or any number of uh, different films I visited into this spot. But Throne of Blood was the one that stuck out the most to me because... It's just, it's, like I said, it's just one of those performances that's kind of burned in your brain forever as soon as you see it. And when you see that kind of very bombastic approach to acting, there's a reason why people like Daniel Day-Lewis and uh, even like... <sighs> This is one of the funnier ones, but Nicolas Cage has compared like what he wants to get across to to share Mifune. Expressive. Very. Overly. It's very theatrical, yeah. but in like the best possible way while he's on stage. He's it's like, I want to be Japanese. <laughs> Tom Cruise really looked at this performance when he was doing The Last Samurai. Um, <laughs> no, not really. Um, but we got to do a Kurosawa episode at some point. It's I mean, this is so good. Akira is like my alt. That's in like my top ten favorite movies ever. That's a lot more of a smaller film about uh, what it is to be older. But um, that's Mifune isn't in that one. If you want an entry point into who Mifune was as one of the greatest actors of the twentieth century, who no Americans talk about because he was a Japanese actor, highly, highly, highly recommend Throne of Blood. It is a complete and total masterpiece. I love that title, Throne, Throne of Blood. Blood. That's How great- dope is title number seven true number seven this is my one tv show that i truly i i expanded this tv just because i really wanted to talk about king of the hill (laughs) yes hell yeah it is because this is a show it was on fox um it, it you know most of it came out before we were you know uh conscious or you know not not just conscious but like watching these types of shows um, it was like a, it started in the mid nineties, I believe. And it, it continued on for quite a while, but it, it had its peak sort of in the very early two thousands. Um, and also when you're younger and you're getting into like adult cartoons, cause that's an easy gateway into adult shows, you're mm-hmm. going to get into more flashy shows, uh, that have speed and like yeah, crazy pace. Guy. Yeah. You're going to get into family guy. That's what I'm saying. And South park because South park is much more catered to kids, um, this show is one of the best shows I've ever seen for what it is. Um, it is a, a case study of simplicity in, in TV making because there are almost no elements of this show that necessitate it being a cartoon. It almost does. It kind of doesn't even need to be a cartoon, um, except that makes it so the budget can be even lower, <laughs> and you can tell it is it's animated so crudely it's animated uh very much and kind of intentionally like it's an 80s gi joe cartoon 
that is that is you can really clearly tell like the the base point of what they they're going off of um and because of the simplicity it becomes also one of i think the best things to watch if you're trying to understand what character jokes are um because that's almost the entirety of this tv show and again that's another reason that it might be hard to just jump into it because the more that you know these characters the more the show pays off because most of the jokes that characters tell are based off of knowing who they are. Um, and that that's a tough thing to kind of wrap your head around when you're trying to get into a TV show. But character jokes are one of the you know prevalent types of jokes in any solid situational comedy. Um, but in this case, it's almost a whole fucking show. And it it's it's just on another fucking plane how how good they are at developing these characters just for the sole purpose of making jokes <laughs> about these characters. I've I've never really seen anything like it. Um, Mike Judge, I already knew was a genius and one of like the the prevalent comedy minds of the 21st century. Uh, what I really didn't expect is that his voice acting performance in this show. I'm going to say it right now is pound for pound the funniest voice acting I've heard in my entire <laughs> life. I've never heard a, a, a character get as many jokes based just off of delivery as Hank Hill does. It's really a lot of the time. It's just how he says the line. Um, and the same goes for Boomhauer, who he's also <laughs> voicing, which is a character that exclusively speaks in near gibberish. <laughs> so assumingly you would get annoyed by that character at some point because you know that anytime he speaks it's just the joke is going to be that you can like kind of understand what he's saying and kind of can't and yet every single time he manages to do it in a way that surprises you it, it's he is on another plane of existence in this show because he also conceptualized it like he also is the driving force uh creatively behind it and that shows because of the simplicity of the show it's it's a show that could just be live action like it's not, you know, I love that we have shows now that are exploring the possibilities of what animation can do. And something like the Simpsons is what, you know, like uh, paved the way for that, obviously, because the Simpsons <laughs> is willing to do that. King of the Hill doesn't do anything <laughs> that real life can't do, um, except because it's so crude and they know that, especially later on in like the peak seasons, like four, five, six, they make jokes based on the fact that you're going to get a reaction shot from a really shitty looking character. The, so I think this is the best show I've ever seen in terms of knowing itself and knowing its own limitations and using that to its own advantage. Have you seen enough of Beavis and Butthead to say which one's better? Uh, this is definitely better. Um, Beavis and Butthead is sort of like an embryonic version of this because that's another yeah. show that is like stupidly simple uh, and also hinges around just really good vocal performances all by Mike Judge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll say it now, way down, I made a whole list, like a long list on Letterboxd of all the stuff I watched for the first time. I have Idiocracy uh, kind of down at like around the number 43 mm -hmm. uh, area. Solid movie. I'm really pretty, high. Pretty I'm, I'm higher on Idiocracy than pretty much anybody else that I know. I think that I need to rewatch it. I know Idiocracy it's, rocks. It's it all, okay. It ages. Obviously, it, it's fun to watch in the Trump era because you know of stupid. But you can only be, in my opinion, you can only be so good if your movie is such about stupid. Well, people. the thing is, it's also, uh, it's a Bush era film, and it's 
it's so entrenched in that. And also on top of all of that, it was in a way, not, not super early in the process, but it was hijacked by the studio. And that's the reason oh, that makes, yeah. yeah and that's the reason sense. it didn't do yeah. super well. And that's the reason that certain things are, yeah. Like that, that was a big uh, issue with it because uh, the studio was very upset that it made almost every brand in it look awful mm -hmm. because also I'm sure the Maya Rudolph character got a bunch of notes. Yeah, no, of yeah. course there are, there are a billion notes you could give to that fucking movie. Um, this I think is the opus of this man, Mike judge who has made, you know, Silicon Valley. I think this is way better than that. Like I, this is an un, un fucking real show and the people the it's, it's, clear as day when you look at the writing staff of it. You have people like Wyatt Senek who went on to make insane, like bizarro uh, supernatural shows for like TBS that got no play. It, it, it's just, it's a breeding ground for uh, writers who are really, really, really good at the simple things in comedy. And I, I was a uh, roommate of the pod. Nate is who really got me into this show. I really didn't expect to like it this much. And the, but it's one of those shows where it pays off the more you watch it because of the uh, quantity of character jokes. Like you will, like the more you get to understand what the show's doing, the more that you will enjoy what the show's doing. Can I, can I just ask one last thing? Mm. Did Hank Hill vote for Joe Biden? Um, no, he wouldn't vote for Joe, but he definitely wouldn't vote for Trump. This was a big debate on Twitter at a certain it point. It was, it was he's, a huge debate. It's so clear. He's not, a, there's a, I think there's an episode where he shakes George W. Bush's hand and it's a limp shake and he's very upset by that. <laughs> um, so he's definitely not voting for fucking Trump if no. he doesn't like. Yeah, but the question is, does he go for Joe? No, he, he lives. He's a yeah, he lives in Texas. He's, he's just like, I'm writing in Ralph Nader. <laughs> he, he, may, he may just not vote. I don't know. He's in, extremely entrenched in his values. And that's another great. Uh, thing of the show is it's not painting anyone in the show as a good person because they're all not. They're all just insane <laughs> uh, like living in a bubble Southerners and it's just it's crazy good. Wow. It's so good. Selling awesome. me on it. Damn. Yeah, I really want yeah, I gotta watch it. Because I go the more you watch, the more you'll like it. I literally, I, dude, I promise because I didn't expect I would like it. And after a few ups, I was like, I get it. But it's it's really a slow burn. Like you have only to just give it a little time. The only episode I've seen is when uh, Hank and Bobby go to the gun range and the gun range has had like part of his hand blown off. And at the end of the episode, it's like the Coke parody where he's like, hey, kid, and gives him the yeah. thumbs up, but half the thumbs missing. <laughs> there, <laughs> it's such a good it, joke. It also, yeah, it also has just so many signature episodes. There's an episode that's all about Hank Hill's ass and how, how he doesn't have one. <laughs> and like, and it, again, t toward the simplicity of the animation, when they show his ass, it is like you'll have to pause the show because I was laughing so hard. I made Nate pause it, even though I knew obviously what it would look like. But to see it in that crude animation, just a man with a tiny ass. <laughs> King of the it's, Hill. It's so I gotta good. watch this. Yeah, it's true. All right. Number seven. My number seven is my neighbor Totoro. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Sorry. Nice. I love that movie. Hayao Miyazaki's. That is, that is my that's my favorite of his movies. Really? I, yes. I gotta put Spirited Away and Mononoke above this. But I had already, the, I had already yeah. seen we might, have another, we might have another Miyazaki movie coming up. I'm just gonna say. Okay, okay. Ooh. Um, I found this movie lovely. Lovely beyond belief. It is just the quick in and out. I think 80 minutes or mm -hmm. something like mm -hmm. that. It is yeah. just so brief. Super, super short. Barely even has a plot. Um, it's just a vibe 
And it's just about these two little girls who find this forest spirit and ride a cat bus. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of the whole story. Hey, they plant a garden. You don't really know what's happening with that. (laughs) The plot doesn't really kick in. It's just something to kind of hold the movie together with a little bit of structure and intrigue. But it doesn't really like take like a big dramatic swing. Um, but it's not like silly little kid nonsense either. Like there yeah. are still like these tiny little tinges of like darkness, you know, mm-hmm. like little dust bunny spirits and, and whatnot. Big themes of like environmentalism and stuff right. like that, which and is death. all over all of Miyazaki's work. Yeah. Yeah. They, I, they I plant they plant a garden, don't forget. Oh, it's more than a famous. garden. They, oh, yeah. that <laughs> garden grows into the biggest motherfucking tree I've ever seen in my right. life. And I wish I could do that every day or I, dance I, and grow a giant tree. Yeah. When, when, when Miyazaki gets like sublime for me is when he taps into those, those moods and those kind of vibe moments of just like kind of pure joy or bliss or just primal emotion. And I, I don't think of any of his movies do it better than this one. It really is just, just feelings, but it's yeah. the best way he's ever done it. But you know, that's, that's so conditional on each person too. It's hard to like, it's really hard to look at his movies uh, in any way objective, you know, yeah. objectively. Because Miyazaki is a person who, like, really, you can split his films down to, like, where, I mean, they're all animated to a certain extent, but, like, these are the adult films and these are the kid films. And then Spirited Away is transcendental for many reasons, but for one of them is because it bridges the gap unlike any of his other films have mm-hmm. but this is the best possible version of his lighter storytelling where like yeah something like mononoke is my personal favorite miyazaki but that's a pretty fucking heavy movie there's like a yeah. lot of yeah. blood yeah. in that movie like it gets yeah. really fucking intense yeah and this is just it's so light and breezy and i throw this movie on like it's pretty nice. casually like well, after all the, especially so, now that it's on hbo max i don't even have to put it in spe- my blu-ray of it I can speaking uh speaking toward that quality of it the movie made so it made 41 mil box office in japan which is great for japan yeah, but solid not crazy um but then home video sales uh 277 mil but then oh, merchandising sales because this movie well, is a look and a half little. and yeah how just how Totoro looks like it's great character design 1.46 billion dollars. Holy shit. And, and <laughs> good for counting. them. In total it's lifetime good revenue. Good for them. Man, talk about the most beautiful opening animation like credit scene ever. Mm-hmm. I want to watch it again yeah, now just, just so thinking nice. about it. So uh nice. the- I love it. Cobb had a um, one of the movies AMC had they they played all of them uh, yeah. in the theaters. I saw Totoro on the big screen. And it was like a very oh, singular jealous. moment. It was awesome. I uh, I think when they were doing that, I saw um, Spirited Away. That was fucking yeah. amazing. God, I miss movie theaters. <laughs> number six, Harry. All right, number six. Let me get back to my list. Uh, okay, so this is uh, the exact opposite of the feeling you get from Totoro, uh, and this is a this is a um, anyway. Inside Lewin Davis uh, <laughs> yeah. is. I watched this movie for the first time in 2019, and my yeah. God, if I would have so watched this, it this year. <laughs> <laughs> so this is by far. I, I'm kind of weirdly hot and cold on the Coens. I, I don't really have anything against them that much. They just don't always hit for me. But this movie is just so 
committed to being the saddest thing you've ever seen that <laughs> it gets so far into that mood. It just start. It, it was like entrancing for me. I, I also think, you know, with all respect to Star Wars, this is easily my favorite thing Oscar Isaac has ever done. With like, all they, respect they, to Star yeah, I don't. I'm, I'm, do you hear my? I was being sarcastic, and you should have said like, with they, all due respect to Ex Machina. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but that's like, the, the, I think like his best movies or they kind of tap into the, like the, the tiredness in that man's eyes where he just kind of looks a little worn out. Like, yeah, he no looks like a what. worn out version of a huge movie star from the 80s. Yeah. Somehow Palpatine <laughs> exactly has it. returned. And it just hooked me. And there are moments like when he, he stops and he hits that cat and watch it slink away into the night where it just feels utterly devoid of any hope or, or love. And just, I was, it, it just grabbed me and kept me there. And it was, I wasn't like depressed watching it. I was just more marveling at, at this creative swerve that it did. And it, yeah, it's, it's easily my favorite Coen's and nothing's really close to it. It's a perfect movie. Yeah. I, yeah. I love it. I think I it's in it. my top two Coen's like it's that and no country are like the yeah just the transcendental ones it's kind of sad this movie like people were just like hey you did no country what are you gonna do next mm. and they make burn after reading and then they make this and people are like we're <laughs> out on the coens it's like no this movie's like a fucking masterpiece where are you guys talking oh yeah about? i mean it's like it's the same as pta who yeah. we will talk about soon so, so yeah, you said you said um no country and then this no burn after reading came out in 08 no no, no in terms of oh, your your, your list oh yeah yeah well, no, 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 I think I'd go no country and then. Okay. Uh, I think Lee I would, Davis. I would have to probably put Fargo and Big Lebowski over and then Lewin Davis, but they're yeah, all, they're, they're all, all 10 much, out of, yeah, honestly, they're all 10 like, out of it's, 10. It's picking it. It's honestly, it comes down to mood really. Cause like, if I just want to throw something on for fun, then I'm going to throw on Big Lebowski. If I want to see like them do kind of stupid crime uh, romp the Nelther on Fargo. Like it's, it's, it's all mood based with them. Yeah. All masterpieces. God fucking Coens, man. Definitely. I love this movie so much. Yeah. I, it's, dude, I love yeah. the music. music. Really yeah. good. Music. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to, uh, which month yeah, is it? The main, is it the sun? Yeah. Marcus. The Mumford. It's, it's sun. Yeah. It's <laughs> Ann sons. Shout out to Ann sons. Matthew Mumford, the guy. Yeah. So that's <laughs> my number Mumps. six. I really, really liked it. Oh yeah. Uh, Hunter, your number six, you know, some people do this podcast for the fame, for the glory, for the money. For me, the podcast is the juice. Get it. My number six is Heat. I, yeah. I cannot <laughs> believe you hadn't seen this. So I had seen this movie when oh, I was yeah. like 13, but like I was looking through my, because this was my late edition that we were uh inside peak for the listeners we were like just like vamping talking shit for like 30 minutes before we started recording i was like let me look back through airbox let me see if i missed anything i saw i logged this on like january 13th and i was like wait what but then again this year has felt like 10 years so mm -hmm. i don't know maybe i did see it last year but who cares also the magic this of is, uh keeping up a, a detailed letterbox yeah. diary I did not do a good enough job of logging movies. I would just rate movies, but I didn't actually log them, uh, which now looking at my, uh, like just doing the math, I'm like, Oh, did I really watch 250 movies this year? Probably. I hate myself. Um, heat. 
I'm not going to miss any chance to talk about heat, to bring up heat on a podcast. Um, this is like the greatest, uh, action crime movie ever. Like just as far as watchability goes, this movie is almost three hours long guys. It's an hour. It's 170 minutes and nothing about this movie ever drags. Like that is unfucking believable that Michael Mann was able to do this. And that really is all due to the two main leads. Of course, we have Al Pacino, who is giving the most unhinged performance that any man has ever recorded Fully. on film. That anyone um, has ever recorded <laughs> while playing a cop. Yes. No, <laughs> this is not a good cop. Like this is, he no. is like he kind of did that with Serpico a little bit, but this was yeah. just like he was like, what if I took it up a notch? What if I took it up to like 11 notches over what I was doing in that? Um, and this movie is just fucking yeah. it's perfect in every way. I feel like Robert De Niro has kind of gotten overlooked in all this because Al Pacino is giving such a showy performance and he has yeah. all the most banging lines. But this is like a top tier De Niro performance too. opposite yeah. him. De Niro is playing things so cool and composed which the irony of that is, of course, that Al Pacino is the cop and De Niro is the yeah. crime lord behind it all. And he's the one who's calm and composed. But it's just beautiful. They only share one scene together, which like is both the good and the bad of this movie is that like you just want like every scene to just be the two of them saying in a diner yeah. talking. Well, that's like, but, that's like both you've got mail and sleepless in Seattle. Yeah, but the fact that yeah. it's just that one scene is like, that is why it hits so hard when that moment happens. Also, I have to give a shout out to Val Kilmer, who uh, Val Kilmer, I'm not sure is a great actor, but uh, he is fucking awesome in this movie. Like he is incredible <laughs> to the point where he was like so obsessed with how to quickly uh, reload guns that this is a fun fact about this movie. They actually showed the way that he is shooting uh, AR-15 and then rapidly reloading it to military for them <laughs> to, make to him like happy. No, no, no. Well, to, like, <laughs> to make them happy. They're like, oh, you guys want to watch Heat? <laughs> watch Heat with us. Shout out to the troops. Um, no, but like they show it to them like for training stuff of like, this is how you like quickly like unload and reload a gun if you're in the line of fire. Yeah. As far as if he's good or not, I'll just say maybe Val Kilmer should have just been in the military. Yeah. Oh, well, that's fair. Honestly, yeah. Well, to that point, though, one of the things that I don't think it's brought up enough about this movie is the sound design, like the sound yeah. of the gunfire. It's loud as fuck. It's so loud. It yeah. blows your ears out. Yeah. I mean, there's just like every scene in this movie is like just like the opening scene and then like the diner scene and she's got a great ass <laughs> and you got your head all the way up it like there's just so many fucking moments and lines from this thing that are are perfect it's utter perfection in every fucking possible way heat great film heat. hunter six might have seen it before this year i don't care i'm gonna talk about heat on the pod Hell yeah. six true my 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 top seven, I would say, are almost interchangeable. Like like I I, That's how I feel about pretty much <laughs> interchangeable to me means that like when I was ordering them, I felt silly. Like it didn't yeah, feel same. sure. It, yeah, it felt kind of pointless. Um, mm -hmm. so my number six is the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which I really Ooh. hadn't fully watched until this year, and I hadn't. I definitely had not appreciated. Same with King of the Hill. I just hadn't appreciated it at all until this year. Uh, these, God, we had a blast. 
yeah was, was it was awesome time. these movies just fucking rule um it's fully not up my alley in any capacity like these are not movies that i would guess i would like in any way and that's why i hadn't given them a full chance up until this year because i'm not a fantasy guy i'm not like a huge like spectacle movie guy not elijah wood guy (laughs) (laughs) not a peter jackson guy like aside from these because a little bit of a golem guy though oh i'm a golem yeah i'm a golem boy Um, I, it, does this fit into your like one hot person in every period? Is, is Gollum? Just uh, no, it's a uh, Legolas. He's, <laughs> he's the one, hot, and and also of course, um, what's your name? Vigo. Oh, little Sean Astin in there. Vigo is interesting. Mister Frodo. I think I said this at the time, but Vigo is interesting because he isn't hot in anything else. He's just hot in these movies because they dye his beard. I really think that's it. <laughs> Um, they dye his beard and his eyebrows mm. because um, naturally should, he has like invisible eyebrows, yeah, which is blonde. very unattractive. You should revisit Green Book because the way that he folds that pizza in half, it like it gives me a semi chub at the very least. Good point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, these movies are just impeccable, though. Yeah. Like it's really as far as difficulty level goes, these are above anything else on my list, even from here on out. Like yeah. these watching the behind the scenes. Yeah, exactly. Shit, yeah, the, the, to achieve this. A level of synchronicity for this long of a project and for this fucking immersive of a project for all of these actors and just everyone working on set throughout uh, it, it's another level of filmmaking that uh it makes marvel movies to me feel kind of silly it make which they already did but like i said i'm not this type of guy like i that's why i didn't think i'd like these i'm not a marvel type guy i'm not like there's no there's no comparison i can make in my brain to what i also love but i loved these movies like they they achieved everything that they sought to in my in my like what i imagine peter jackson wanted to do i can't imagine him doing anything better even if they're not like fully perfect of course there are effects that have aged poorly um there is a tiny amount of fat that I could trim from these. Um, yet, you know, this is a trilogy. Obviously, it's based on, you know, some of the best source material you could ever base anything on. So that, you know, you got to give credence to J.R.R. He's a promising young screenwriter. Um, Big things ahead for him, I've heard. Yeah, I know. I think he's going to write Deadpool 3. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking good. Um, But my god these are good like it just it blew me out of the water and like i said like an, an advantage of me not having seen a lot of great shit is that my list gets to be better than anyone else's for this particular episode oh <laughs> man it, this these, is these a... movies just they rocked harder than they had any right to they should have been bad in my opinion like i gotta sorry i gotta i gotta watch these again i don't fucking care yeah, about these just... elf movies i'm sorry <laughs> yeah exactly. I, I don't it's know just, man it feels like elf. these yeah these movies <laughs> feel like they should have sucked like I, there's no, there's nothing in my head that makes them make sense to me, except they're just so, so yeah, well you just done. Sit undeniable. down and watch them, and they're yeah. They're I was like, like oh, okay, fuck. like well, I heard we were gonna watch all these, and I was like, oh no, like I really don't feel like watching <laughs> these. And they just, they blew me away because I didn't expect a ton, and what I got was Peter Jackson's easily his opus, like just crazy good. Friends, you bow to no one my favorite part of those movies is in the first movie when um they're kind of getting their their fucking club assembled and whatever and like they're starting like oh, we're gonna do this and i'm gonna do this 
Yeah, and the two hobbits, uh, Sam and Fred, uh, not the other two, the ones played by the guys in Lost, like when they're at like the council, like, and we're coming yeah. too. And you Mary see on the Mary. other character, yeah, you see on the other characters' faces, they are not into this idea, and they're just yeah. like, oh, I guess we're bringing these. That's a good moment, but oh, uh, yeah, I don't it, know, it's man. Gr- no, I, I love know. those characters. Yeah, I love how they pan out because <laughs> I was thinking that too, watching them. I was like, we're yeah. bringing the comic relief guys <laughs> along. I know. I guess. You know, uh, I, and then they prove their yeah. worth. You know, they have an entire. I mean, they really carry a good amount of the second movie yep. with the ends. When they get like, there are a shitload of scenes that are just mm. them talking to a tree, and yeah. yet it's captivating. Even though I, in my head, I hate that. Right. The, ge- the joke is, <laughs> I love uh, the Hobbit book. I've read it like a hundred times. I just don't fucking care about the the, the, the Hobbit stuff. movies are so Atrocious. so much worse than these. Yeah, I'm not watching those. Thing. I watched those movies <laughs> I, in yeah. full before I watched these, yeah. and I was like, oh god, I don't want to watch these. And they're better in every single way. It's it's just I, great. I want to drop a bomb real quick. I think my hottest take is that the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie is better than all these three fucking movies. But let's move I, on. I don't know if that's the hottest <laughs> thing. We watch Lord okay. of the Rings. I'm telling well, you. Well, also, that that, that first movie is the first great. Movie well, but, well, it's a really good movie. The reason that this made my list, though, is that it's like if there were three good Pirates of the Caribbean mm. movies, and there aren't, Ooh. in my opinion. And that all were one. Yeah, that, that felt like hey, cogent. On Stranger and, Tides yeah. with like a word. Uh, yeah, goddammit. Motor. Like, I, yeah, I, because I, loved that first one but the yeah nothing beyond it really like it was it was literally linear diminishing returns for yeah. me yeah <laughs> like, that's a bad it's crush. a bad fran- bad franchise but yeah, yeah that's okay move it's on. a good movie though um Lord, but yeah Lord, yeah Lord Journey. of the Rings is Drew's number six my number six is John Carpenter's The Thing Oh, hell, hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. I almost put this on my uh, list because I haven't seen I saw it when I was like 15, but then revisiting as a don't for a horror movie draft. Uh loved it, loved every minute of yeah. it. Uh probably Perfect. the best creature effects I've ever seen in my life. Like that's what you go into this movie for, is just the insane practical creature effects. Uh, mm. and it delivers. And the story is great too. It's it's a lot of intrigue and suspense on like you know what this sort of alien shape-shifting creature is doing in this arctic base uh kurt russell keith david like good stuff here guys good shit i was gonna um, say really nice keith david in that movie uh yeah. he just has a lot of presence in that film yeah and it, it's not a, a movie where you necessarily are there for the acting but it's it's serviceable it's beyond serviceable um, and everybody, you, you just get the sense of, of like everybody there is just hanging on their thread of survival. Like nobody yeah. knows how long they're going to make it. They all pretty much know that they're all doomed and it, it works as a horror movie, you know, as picking off the, the crew type of deal, but it also is just this wild, crazy sci-fi body horror thing too mm-hmm. and it fucking mm-hmm. rules man and the thing that made me put it on my list is again those practical creature effects like we don't see shit like what they did in this movie the amount of work that they put into like building and and crafting the makeup and the design of the insane disgusting shit that this alien thing takes on it is worth the price of admission 150 percent 
Yeah, I mean, this movie is a fucking it's it's a masterpiece. I I had mm-hmm. I I drafted it in the horror movie draft. So I think by you putting on the list, you are ceremonially giving me your win that you earned for the horror movie draft. <laughs> um, Bring it back. <laughs> yeah, this uh, it's it's fucking incredible. Uh, I don't think that you've mentioned uh the two names, uh, Wilford Brimley. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Fucking, fucking great. Awesome. So that character still, great. I need to rewatch this movie because his character still makes me like wonder exactly. Cause there's a moment where, where you're yeah, not sure. Or am I, am I watching him or am I watching not that's him? the genius of this movie is that even like, there's still people that are 40 years later trying to dissect like, what is the thing in this movie yeah. and who have they infected in any given scene? And, and it, as soon as I finished watching it the first time, and I really want to revisit it, I was a little bit apprehensive about how I felt about it because it didn't give me those clear cut answers. And I wanted it to be a little bit more kind of cerebral with its storytelling and kind of make me like go down a certain path of like thinking about, who is who and 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 you know where the lines of identity are drawn when you have like a shape-shifting situation going on but after you sit on it and especially after going back on a on a repeat viewing hopefully it'll start to like really give me those things a little bit more and i've been thinking about it more and i've been thinking about that character more and i think on 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 a visceral first viewing it's just like this sort of crazy sci-fi slasher but there is more under the surface and i do think that in terms of like what john carpenter did it is maybe his best movie perhaps Mm -hmm. halloween's up there halloween yeah halloween's That's very not, different I mean, energies. <laughs> I mean, it's tough because Halloween is like a perfect slasher movie, and this is a perfect creature feature movie. There you go. So. The thing, my number cool. six. We're on number five. All you right. Take a break. Take a quick little break. All right. We'll take a break and then we'll get to our number one through five. back with our five through one we just did our six through ten of right. our top first ernie viewing do you think anyone would be upset if you took like the master recording and you just put it on like 1.2 times speed <laughs> <laughs> like a little Maybe. bit sure. <laughs> at least like the first half of every episode when we're like we're, we're just like thinking like Space. you know we got all the time in the world let's just talk you know it's 9 30 <laughs> all right so number five uh harry All right. So 2020 uh, was a bad year in many ways. And I'm sure you also all had some bad days in 2020. Nope. Uh, There was, no, who can imagine? (laughs) So in 2020, I had a really bad day around in the summertime and I was very depressed and very upset. And I was like, I'm just going to put on a movie and take my troubles away. So I put on uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. (laughs) (laughs) Bad choice, man. Which I got to be honest, rocked my shit. It is the most bleak, miserable, draining movie that wants its characters to suffer 
And the experience I had was so bad. I wouldn't call it a panic attack, but like a half existential crisis and half just like raw pain was what I was feeling after I saw it. Now that doesn't sound good, but that experience and feeling that, like I will never forget how vivid and impactful that mo- movie was in the moment. I also think it's just a great movie. It's it's easily one of my favorite of that director's. I like it a lot more than Your Lobster. Yorgos, yes. And it's just a a no-holds-bar horror movie that's going to torture its main characters in a very unique, terrible way. And it does, beat by beat. You know, it's comparable to The Witch, where it's just like growing, building tension and pain. And, um, you know, that was a bad time at the movies, but it is a time I will never forget. And uh, I really weirdly liked it for that reason. I spent, I watched this movie in theaters, like right whenever it first came out. Yeah, we out saw it together. And mm-hmm. I spent the first 20 minutes being like, is Colin Farrell bad now? Because <laughs> of his line delivery. And then it took, yeah. and like, it took me a second to adjust because I hadn't seen, um, it was right before the lobster came out. And I hadn't seen the yeah. lobster before. So this is my introduction to Yorgos. And I was like, do all of his characters just talk that <laughs> flat and monotone? Yeah. What is this movie? But it yeah, no, it's, it's, it's like very, a nightmare. It's very upsetting. Uh, Barry Keoghan, who most people just know as like that one weird looking dude in Dunkirk. Um, yeah. He is, he's really good and he's able to carry scenes across from Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman. <laughs> yeah. Great movie. Killing of a sacred deer, a, a nightmare of a movie that opening shot with the open heart surgery, haunting grim haunting as fuck. Honor, your number five. My number five. Well, we talked about the man earlier. I'm going back to Hayao Miyazaki and I'm going Ooh. to a movie that I forgot that I watched this year because I watched it so early on in the year. And that is uh, his quote unquote uh, fourth retirement movie. It's The Wind Rises. Yes. Um, this movie is like a top three Miyazaki movie. And yes. I think that people don't appreciate it because it's straight up not a kid's movie. It's animated. And that's where the line ends. This is a story <laughs> about it's a combination of two like Japanese tales. One of them about Jiro Hirokoshi, who was a plane designer for Mitsubishi in World War One, World War Two era Japan. And of this uh, novel called The Wind Rises, which is like a famous Japanese tale, which I won't give away the story because I didn't fucking know it going into it. Um, But it's an absolutely beautiful, stunning film, not only with the way that it looks and just its gorgeous animation, the way that it's it's kind of a strange feeling because, you know, we see Miyazaki, we think about Miyazaki, we think about My Neighbor Totoro, or we think about Mononoke or Spirited Away, where there's all these supernatural elements. But this is a movie that is just set in the real world. It's just set Straight. in Japan. Yeah. And the only thing that we get is these very impressionistic dreams that Jiro has where he's uh, visited by his idol, this Italian engineer. Um, it's absolutely beautiful. Not only that, uh, does it work as just a great straight up story? It's also a metaphor about, um, how Miyazaki feels about his work. It's Um, so good. There's these two different main themes of the movie. One of them is like, how do you balance if like your work, like your work and family, but when your work is your passion, your work is what you were put on this planet to do and trying to care for loved ones. And the other great theme about this movie is 
whenever you create something, even if that thing is beautiful, it's going to get twisted. For yeah. example, so this movie is set in uh, World War primarily world war ii japan and jiro just wants to make planes he just finds them beautiful but the only way the japanese army or the japanese government is funding these operations is if they're military planes if they are used to cause death and destruction and it's this whole metaphor that works for the way that people weaponize art whenever it's put out into the world, that you can be trying to just create something pure and beautiful. And it's going to get weaponized against you. And it's funny because if you look back at reviews for this movie, people are like, Hayao Miyazaki is very pro-military. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's literally people doing the thing that he's like cautioning against in this movie. It's, yeah. it's beautiful. I think this is like, an absolutely perfect film in every possible way. And I watched it because of Harry. Harry uh, told me. I, I, and shout out to HBO Max since all these movies are available. Now the only um, Miyazaki film I need to see is Cagliostro. There we go. They're beautiful. Absolutely. It's, that's my number two Miyazaki movie with a bullet. Everything you just said, it's, it's fucking beautiful. It's one of the most like quietly beautiful movies I've seen in a very long time. And, uh, it's just got those moments that can take your breath away. And, um, yeah, great movie. I awesome. uh, will also say, um, cause I always promote, uh, watching the sub for this movie, but the dub is not bad. I put it on while I was working today and, uh, Werner yeah. Herzog plays a German <laughs> man in it. And he, he is fucking awesome. He's great. Bounty hunting uh, Martin is short difficult. is also fucking great. JGL is fine. He's doing what's yeah, asked of him, but, uh, you know, Joseph Gordon. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Ain't that always the truth. <laughs> he's doing what's um, asked of him. All right. When rises. My top five is colored by a single man who I was lucky enough to have not seen uh, hardly any of his movies until this year when we covered his canon. And as Mel a result, Gibson, give it to me, baby. <laughs> much like in 2021, how my top 10 will be just colored by Nick Cage. <laughs> my 2020 yeah. Hell yeah, brother. is populated by a certain Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, didn't expect to have this at number five. I thought I would have it higher, but upon self-reflection still, like I said, my top seven, it, it feels silly to order them. Boogie nights is my, my number five. Wait, on yeah, wait, wait same. a little bit on it. Let, wait, wait a little bit on that. Wow. Ooh. Just a, just a bit. Okay. So um, your number five, my number five is a movie that, um, I look guys, we have to be honest with ourselves sometimes. And this is a moment of self-reflection and understanding of our faults as cinephiles. My number five is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh yeah. man, man I I've never movie. seen this movie. This before. is this is my all-time it's number one movie. Yeah, period. Uh, part of part of what being a dedicated lover of film is accepting <laughs> your faults and knowing that you we can't watch everything. And so this year, I was like, I gotta do it. I got to fucking do it. I got to stop pretending like I've seen this movie. Yeah. Like so many of us do it in our lives. We're like, yeah, I've seen that just because like we've taken film classes. That's yeah. That's me. That's me about every Godfather. Yeah. It's like, there's so many things that just get like swept up in pop culture. And like, we know the broad strokes of it. Yeah. This never like sat down and watched this movie is stupid. Good dude. It is incredible. It's insane. It's everything. It's like, it's heartwarming. It's, 
It's funny. It's deeply tragic and sad and and uh, off-putting. Um, Jack Nicholson is incredible. In Could, it. One of the most irreplaceable roles, arguably, I would argue, ever. Where like I don't, there's no other actor I would want to see doing that. Mm-hmm. Like he, if it's just it's written for him, even though it's not because it's based on a book. The whole extended cast is great. Danny DeVito, Christopher Lloyd, all these other guys that just like fill out this mental institution beautifully without ever feeling like caricatures at all. No, like they're all fully realized characters, even if they just get like a line or two. The guy who plays Chief made me cry like multiple times. Yeah, and he doesn't even talk. <laughs> I adore adored this movie it is so 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 it's so wildly good the way that foreman just sort of wanders with his camera like across the scene as things unfold it feels so incidental but it's so intentional and you know it like i've never i've never seen anyone do that exact thing so well before it's contained yet sprawling yeah like it, it just you just get kind of like a little bit of everything that you could possibly it's exactly want it's movie. just everything and also speaking toward how just how good jack nicholson is in this role this movie made me like the shining less Ooh. because this movie made me realize how good he is when you are supposed to like him uh, and in the shining you're not he's so charismatic he's, he's so insanely likable even though he's still like a shit bag in this movie like he's not like a great guy but like when you're he's supposed to be the guy who rallies the troops uh he is wildly good at yeah. it this is also the movie that made me realize that uh leo dicaprio's whole thing is just copying jack yeah. well the the difference is that leo's hot yeah, Jack but not, not, not anymore. Yeah. Jack is not hot. <laughs> Jack, but back then Jack was supposed to be hot for the seven. And like, and Leo yeah. hasn't been hot for like ten years, probably. Oh, yeah. Damn. Well, no. He has. He has. I'd still. He, I'd still let him. Pick Leo him. has circle alcoholism head now. He and he has for a while. <laughs> Even in Inception, it wasn't like the sexy guy. You know that, what I mean? That little wisp of a mustache, though. Um, He's got that little mustache. But Jack in this is just like, who else, man? It doesn't even matter what he looks like. It's just the the confidence. Yeah, the vibe, man. He's just so fucking cool. You just want to hear him out. It's like the only modern, semi-modern actor I could see playing a role that's so charismatic in like such an anti-charismatic circumstance is Denzel. Where I could see Denzel being in a mental hospital and making you love him, Mm -hmm. you know? That's the only guy <laughs> like not even Tom Hanks. And I, I I need to revisit this movie because like like I said, with the thing in a completely different way, I think there's more to this movie than meets the eye, because yes. like, the whole thing with Jack Nicholson's character is that he's the sane one. Right. But then, like, the more you think about it's, it, he's not. The, he's, it's like it's, he's it's, a fucked up dude. <laughs> like it's no, I, I mean, I echo everything that you guys said. I sang vast praises for Milos Forman for this and Amadeus, both of which were my top 10 Oscar best picture winners mm-hmm. ever. Like the, his use of like a floating camera. It's crazy. Something that just every yeah. other director afterwards yeah. has just tried to emulate. Including, including uh, uh, David Fincher who brought it to the digital age where like his camera floats across planes that a camera literally can't move to. Yeah. Like that's what he's trying to fucking imitate though. The way that this camera just goes where the action is and you don't even notice it moving. Like it's a miracle to me how well he cool. directed this. One flew over the cuckoo's nest, man. <laughs> fucking banger movie. It's my number five. We're on to number four. 
All right, number four. So this is kind of weirdly in hand with the killing of a sacred deer where uh, it was very conditional on the night I watched it. Uh, So I really, really like Happy Feet too. And I'm aware. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So now this is a kid's movie about talking penguins that sing. I'm aware of this. Now it is also (laughs) a movie about talking penguins that sing directed by George Miller. And this is the movie he made right before Mad Max Fury Road. Mm -hmm. And what fascinated me about this movie is when you're watching it, it's not like it's thematically similar beyond being about the apocalypse, but it is visually and from a directing standpoint of a kind with his Mad Max movies and his work. It's got the same. This is a wild. For just a minute, I had forgotten about your takes. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) You thought I was done. I'm back in. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So basically, you know, the movie's pretty good for most of it. It's kind of visually amazing. It's got two existentialist uh, Krill played by Matt Damon and Brad Pitt. And um, genuinely, the movie culminates in this incredible final set piece that is genuinely one of the most like impressive things I've seen in George Miller's career. And definitely one of the favorite, my most favorite things I've seen in the 2010s. Uh, I know this sounds like a gag pick, but it really is like actually of a kind with his filmography. And I was kind I was very taken by how much I like this movie. And I watched it again before this show, just to be sure. Uh, but it is a thing where so many disparate pieces, it's a very messy movie. It's it's just it's, it makes no sense. It's like you're in a fever dream, but at the end it comes together in a really incredible way. And uh, is, you all really should watch it. This is why we have you on, Harry. This is right. <laughs> this, this is, is the wild card energy. I, I remember watching this movie when I was young and all I remember thinking yeah. was, huh? Not as good as the first one. That's not the feeling. I I was watching it. I was like, did I die? And now I'm in some kind of journey to hell or heaven. I don't know which. Uh, but yeah, it is. And there's actually weirdly some um, imagery that he definitely took from this movie and put in Mad Max. I I'm think not what, kidding what about you that. just said is like, yeah. I think genuinely like the my ideal description of every great movie is like, have I died? Like, am I like, am I <laughs> like, am I in my body anymore? It is like, that impossible. is what that's yeah. what like great movies make you feel. So <laughs> I'm going to let you feel that way. About <laughs> <laughs> Harry, I'm happy for you. That's Thanks, all I guys. Say. I'm going to I'm going to watch it out. Yeah. We'll watch I guess it. you watch it. Just um, you I know, kind of get yourself into the mindset. I did forget about that moment in quarantine where you just kept messaging our group chat like, guys, Happy Feet is a fucking master. Oh, did you and think we, I like, forgot? Privately messaging each other like, is he okay? Can we go check on him? Yeah, we started a chat that was just everyone but not you. <laughs> the intervention stage. Like, yeah, we got to like go call out to him. One chat. I no, was just, it's. Uh, yeah. I was just in, in a young age, just captivated with penguins singing. Oh, queen, I loved Happy queen, Feet, Queen songs, and yeah. then I saw a second one. The, I was like, Where's all the Queen songs? So <sighs> that the Happy Feet one ends in a very weird, crazy place, and then Happy Feet two just decides to live in that level of just batshit stuff for like an hour and a half. I, it, it, I cannot believe this movie got made. It makes no sense, uh, but that is definitely a zone I, de- I really dig. So man, uh, all amazing. the blank yeah. checks to, cr- to cash. I know. <laughs> I know, man. To T-W-O. I own it happily. It's a great movie. Uh, my number four is one that we might still have to wait on. It is Boogie Nights. Okay. Yeah, just a bit. Uh, Drew, number four. Magnolia. Can I talk about it? Yeah. yeah. Follow up to Boogie Nights. Oh, yeah. Uh, I honestly 
it's not as good as Boogie Nights, which is why I'm I'm sort of fascinated with the fact that I very confidently put it above Boogie Nights on my list because it it left a more lasting impact on me. I think a lot of that comes down to just the pure alchemy of that score by John Brian. Brian, I don't know. Um, just like wildly fucking good. There's a good hour of this movie where I was in that the the Happy Feet Two state. We'll call it from now on in the pod yeah. um, where I, I like truly was like, I, I have ascended like this, th- like I'm not even watching a movie anymore. I'm just inside of it because of this score, the way it ascends as it's not even what you would call rising action in a normal movie because it's just uh, cutting across multiple scenes where the action is rising like very slightly mm-hmm. and yet you feel like you are crawling out of your own fucking skin because of this score um, generally the editing too. yeah generally that's what this movie means to make you feel it means to make you feel just wildly uh, unsettled and uncomfortable with things that are not necessarily that af- effective on their own um, and that's what stuck with me about this movie is it's such a huge ensemble piece that it almost is a detriment to the movie itself for most people because Boogie Nights has more of a definable plot to it. Like it has a through line through the entire thing. Whereas this movie truly doesn't have an A story, I don't think. Like it just has like (laughs) seven really, really good B stories. (laughs) Just a pure ensemble. Yeah, it just it just is your form of the word. Exactly. It's just unreal. Um we'll talk about yeah. What? Go on. This is your your talk. Go ahead. No, what were you going to say? I just find it fascinating that you guys are so hot on Boogie Nights compared to this because I think this is easily the better movie. Ooh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 it just is more affecting to me. I, I would say Boogie Nights is better because it obviously very clearly was better at captivating a wide audience. Um, It did mm-hmm. just so, so much better um, at doing that. Like it, it's, it's, you know, and that's also why it is more rewatchable. It gets more cable run or like HBO or Cinemax run. Um, it was a big thing when it happened. And Magnolia simply kind of wasn't, even though it really honestly should have been. It had, yeah. you know, it had the Tom Cruise of it all. And then the, the rest of the entire ensemble of Boogie Nights, except for a few key pieces. Um, Respect the cock. It's just because no like normal movie audience which is pretty much all you had in like the you know the very very early 2000s slash like late 90s those there were not there wasn't like the level of cinephile we have now where like letterbox would have gone gaga over this movie like it would have been the number one letterbox movie of the year there wasn't that and what normal audience is used to a movie with no main character Mm. like that's an insane concept like that doesn't exist (laughs) to most movie watchers yeah, it's crazy that pta's <laughs> career didn't tank completely after exactly it it failed so hard it was such a calamity to make because it's way over long there is a lot of fat to trim in this movie pta himself has said that he's he said if he could tell his past self one thing it's just like chill out yeah <laughs> like make less yeah. <laughs> like do a little bit less with the shit because he was on a coke binge baby but that's, that's <laughs> part of the magic of this movie that the sort of like bloated yeah because well it. because it's like a, it's almost when i was defending tenet the same shit i said like this doesn't happen that often right. even back then it didn't we're Nobody just like signs off on yeah we're just shit. like a guy got to do whatever he fucking wanted that doesn't happen a ton especially with like a bigger budget like he had with this where he could get like tom cruise and julianne moore and all these people 
uh, even if it wasn't like, you know, something like Tenet that required like shitloads of CG. Still had to make a bunch of frogs rain down. <laughs> like, the, it. yeah. it's just it, it's a it's a one of the most unique movies i've ever seen in my life I, i'll be yeah, honest this is- i i wanted i this would have been on my list but i just decided to just go like one film per director because this would have been on my top yeah because i had not yeah. seen this i put boogie nights in its place because i think boogie nights is objectively a better movie but I still that doesn't it's just, do anything to diminish Magnolia. No, because like Magnolia, I want to just fire up and just read and like it. and like you'll probably agree with this, Harry, because you 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 yeah. also put it above that. The feeling generated by this movie is beyond what Boogie Nights generated for me. Hundred percent, and that's yeah. you know at this point that's kind yeah. of what I watch movies for. I yeah, I mean Boogie. I mean I actually had Magnolia at eleven. I was very close to having it on the list. Um, and I yeah, I don't want to. I mean we can save it for the boogie nights talk, but like boogie nights is like a very, it's a great movie. It's, that's a very conventional thing that I, I, I kind of knew where it was going to go when it started and it got there and it was a satisfying time. But like, I have seen that kind of arc before and Magnolia is something much more interesting and much more emotionally impactful. It's uh, Drew's number four. My number four is, this is another one guys. Hell yeah. Psycho. Whoa. Whoa, yeah. hell yes. <laughs> uh Hitchcock. What a guy. Big uh big career ahead of him. He's got uh he's got some chops. Um had never seen this. Uh always wanted to, always meant to. Uh basically knew everything about it going into it just because it's fucking psycho. Um, but we we're doing this horror draft, and I was like, I gotta do it, man. I gotta fucking do it. So I did it. And I loved it. Of course, it's a masterpiece, perfect film. And it's so effective with its simplicity. You know, there's not a lot going on, but I think that Hitchcock manages to still like dig those fucking claws in, you know, nowadays you've got the Eggers of the world really trying to subvert and, and, and go wild and crazy out there with, what cinema is, is able to accomplish. And I think Hitchcock was doing that back in the day to the extent that he could. But looking back on it um, all these decades later, it does come off as like very, very simple and straightforward and slimmed down in terms of like what a horror movie can do. It, it all just rests on Anthony Perkins and, and that performance and just the eeriness of it and, and, um, what Hitchcock is able to do with these very locked off shots and, and kind of still scenes. And I think it works beautifully. I, I adored this movie. I can't wait to watch it over and over every year during spooky season. Uh, it's a fucking classic. Yeah. I, I can't believe it took me I this mean, long yeah, to watch it's, it. It's perfect. Of course. It's Hitchcock. Psycho baby. That's my number four. Um, I guess we're on to number three, Harry. Number three. This is one that's kind of surprising. I haven't seen before, uh, but I finally saw the um, very first Christopher Reeve Superman movie. Uh, And even as someone who has, for me, become kind of tired of superhero stuff and comic book movies and what have you, this movie still kind of blew me away. I think it might be a perfect movie. Like I, I just, I fundamentally don't have any complaints or criticisms about it. I just think it is set up so well. I think Christopher Reeve is 
as magic as everyone told me that that he, as yeah, he was in this. It's, it's really wild because those are so old, but it's it's one of the best superhero performances ever. Like it it's, is. It's so crazy good how how he balances things. He there's there's nothing like him, and there there's nothing been like it since. I've watched all these friggin' movies. I would know. Like there's nothing there, and. No, it, it's like an actual magic movie. It like I felt inspired after I saw it. Like it really just, you know, like what you said last time, Drew just like lived in it for a while. And then I was just, you know, I was sad that it was over. All the other Superman movies, I'm not really into them. I don't think they're that good for various reasons. But that first movie is, is special. Yeah. Lovely movie. Super I mean, he he became a stone cold classic star from that movie mm-hmm. just lives on like in the pantheon it is, of movie i want to revisit that movie because i see i saw it whenever i was a kid and i really liked it but seeing it now that we are like inundated with superhero ip just to see yeah. like how it compares it seems like it's a whole nother world yeah you're right that the movie <laughs> itself is surprisingly well done because that that you wouldn't think would age super well. Chris Reeve is just like he's on another plane. Like yeah, he's dude. yeah, he's someone that uh my mom since I was a little kid was telling me like this guy, no, like it's for real. Like he he's, is Superman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she was an actor, like she she understands like <laughs> kind of how acting works and like the she's craft. like, This guy is doing something that is really weird, <laughs> like yes. how how good he is at it. <laughs> we're like like you know he does like subtle things that i'm sure other marvel type people have tried to do where he like he contracts and expands his chest depending on yeah. if he's clark that, or superman that gif on and, twitter and yeah and he's capable yeah. of doing it at like really wild proportions like it's really <laughs> almost unhealthy how good he is at that but like he's also just like inherently lovable which is i think harder to do than any physical uh, act like uh that's something where like i i like I've I've grown to like um what's his name the new Superman, Tom Henry Cavill. Yeah, I've I've grown to enjoy him in other movies, um, mm-hmm. but he is not someone who you just look in his eyes and love. Yeah. You, I really <laughs> no. just don't feel that way about him at all. And, and he doesn't. He's he starting to pick roles better. Like he's really good in Fallout. But yeah, exactly. He's good in right. Fallout. Yeah, but he's but playing a jerk because yeah, he's exactly. got that. He's not un- doing. Well. Yeah, but not unlikability. Yeah, you're, it's it's just an inherent quality to just be likable, and he just yeah. is that. He just is someone you root for, and that's what Superman should be, which is what this new iteration. Can- oh my God! Fucking Jesus, fuck! Thing Jesus just fell Christ. off the wall. Oh, you guys are cursed. I'm sorry. It's flashed. Superman colon the movie mm-hmm. is Harris number three. Who can forget when Henry Cavill said, Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? <laughs> What's your number? No. Three? Uh so it's funny that uh the lights flickered and shit just fell down from your wall because my number three is uh by all accounts like a cursed movie. It is the 1985 film come and see um this is a film that was out of print for like three decades it was a film that was banned by russia um this is a story about uh set in world war ii set in uh, 1943 i believe um and it's about german forces german forces invading a village in belorussia and the story is just entirely set around this one character um, who's played by uh, Alexei Kravchenko. Kravchenko? I don't know. Um, it's, I, I'm not even going to fucking try with that middle name. Um, but this is probably the most depraved movie I've ever seen. Um, 
I, whenever I was making like my finalized things in my list, I realized I had a lot of depraved movies and I was like, I can't have all of these in there. I'm starting to feel a little bit better about maybe the future, slightly more optimistic now. Um, so I decided to let this one be the stand in for all of it, like the most depraved of all of them. Um, the way that Alim Klivov uh, shoots this film is the most dour color palette that you will ever see in your life. Everything is in grays. There is no light that shines through in this movie. It is unrelenting with how dirty this film is. They talk about, um, like I have the direct, the, um, criterion of this film. So I guess I should do a, um, it's on the channel right now. It's also, channel. it's on the criterion channel right now, but they talk about like, they fired like live ammunitions, like right past uh, the main guy who plays Floria's head. Like while they were shooting this movie to create the realism, like it is very fucking dark, but this is also, I think like probably one of the greatest war films ever made. One of the greatest just straight dramas ever fucking made. Just, just a little bit more unethical than James Cameron shooting underwater. Only slightly <laughs> just more. A tad. Yeah. Just, I mean, they both almost died. So yeah. Tell me, it's a yeah, just just a little more um, unethical than uh, Ron Howard letting Jim Carrey get so random for the Grinch. <laughs> just a crime. Um, <laughs> no, like I think that every person I know, like it's a very dark and disturbed movie. But like, I still like highly recommend this to people, especially if you want like a peek into uh, a war film from a different country and kind of capturing what that impoverished life was for uh russians during world war ii this captures that in the most raw and i mean for lack of a better term beautiful way uh kind of beautiful despite the horror of it like it's just i, I mean it's kind of it's funny because this movie is really considered like a cursed production that's why russia they played this at first and then they outlawed all prints of this movie and they tried <laughs> to like burn it except the master uh survived through all of this and they were just able to re-release it through the criterion channel right wow. now but it's fucking it is it, it absolutely stunning in every possible way come and see great reco number three drew number three midnight cowboy Everybody's Ooh. talking about me. That's my number eleven. Yeah, I I almost had it on here. It's one of the yeah. It's one, one of, of the best movies ever. I've ever seen. It has that same feeling of uh, one flew uh, over the cuckoo's nest, which is it's it's not just the feeling we were discussing uh, the Happy Feet two uh, feeling. It's not just that. It's 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 a feeling that a lot of seventies movies in particular have, from what I've seen, which is a feeling of uh, any scene could go anywhere and you wouldn't be surprised. And that's, that's sort of hard to imitate, especially now because we know uh, that most movies like beyond the seventies are based upon like a sort of hero's journey. And you're able to identify like what is likely to happen moving forward. Uh, this movie, you really just have no fucking clue what's going to happen. And uh, that's an underrated uh, concept in a lot of movies and that's I think why the 70s is more than anything because the 70s is obviously like an incredible decade in general but that's why it's my favorite for film is because it's the same I, I feel with that I feel with like being there 
another one of my favorite movies ever. I you just don't know where it's going to go. It doesn't have it, you're watching it and you don't feel a blueprint guiding anything. Mm-hmm. Um you you just it feels artful. Like it feels like the the vibe is guiding things, the way things are shot is guiding things. The flashbacks in this movie are so brilliantly directed and haunting and like gross and freaky. Um it's before John Voight became a crazy person. Yeah, the way a better time. The way that drug use is depicted, and uh, yeah, the way that you're meant to feel what the characters are feeling. Yeah, that party scene, it's man. yeah, it's it's one of the it's so one crazy. of the better depictions of drug use I've ever seen, which is crazy because we've had decades to sort of perfect the art. Um, but this this just did like that good of a job in 1969. It's not even a 70s movie for all I was talking about 70s movies. It just it defined what the 70s would be mm-hmm. for movies, period. And all, like uh, like we discussed on your episode, especially Hunter, uh, because it won the Oscar. Uh, my episode. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> big, big episode. You made it, man. Aww. It, well, my episode. But it shut up. <laughs> but it did it. The fact that it won the Oscar did like hugely impact what cinema would be in the 1970s. And that's it's for that reason, it's one of uh, the most important movies ever. Yeah, I mean, it's it's insane. Yeah, it's so wildly important. The most important movie to ever exist in American. Seriously, like it like we're not Not exaggerating. Yeah, we're not exaggerating. Like it's one of those things where like. It changed everything. It's like the Beatles where you, to really understand it, you have to listen to music before the Beatles. And you're like, oh, it was, yeah, it was all sort of like Elvis until, you know, it was, it was like Chuck Berry and then the Beatles came along. Like, th- this is like that. Where like, you're like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, if films may <laughs> have existed in a smaller context, like with no spotlight uh, underground. And uh, in fact, like this movie was sort of criticized for bringing those filmmaking principles from the underground to the spotlight and not doing it necessarily in like the best way possible. But this is what made the seventies include those elements of filmmaking, which are better than anything. Like this is the best filmmaking possible. It's just as about as good as it gets for me. It's so good. To that point, um, as somebody who did watch uh, at least one movie from every year leading up to midnight cowboy, it is, stark like just to if (laughs) yeah it's it's night and day it's unbelievable what happens and i mean just john voight and dustin hoffman just walking around because for the most part this is kind of just like a buddy movie like it's just kind of just palling around and like shit gets dark but like also it's just yeah very much just like you just want to hang out with these yeah and they're that's why it works they're both stupid good um but yeah hoffman especially is just he's in a role that like so both of these roles really don't, could don't go they Brad could Show. go uh way cornball over the top like no longer dramatically impacting <laughs> um and john voight sort of does just because like he's in a silly role that does get crazy dark but like ratso really really has to be just sad and he is it's just it's incredible I mean, hoffman's the man yeah it's it's yeah, it's, it's a, can do anything it's a stupid good man. movie you gotta watch it please minot cowboy is drew's number three my number three let's get into it Boogie Nights. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty it's much okay. perfect. Um, it's you know we it, did a whole PTA series. This was the one that I picked because I had seen most of them already. Yeah. Um, except uh, for Magnolia. And this yeah. One. Uh, Big Penis. 
<laughs> yeah. Hog. Let's so, uh, Harry, you're number two. <laughs> <laughs> Good talk, guys. This, this movie is encapsulates so much of what PTA would go on to do. Obviously, like Hard Eight is like the the ugly duckling first child that nobody likes to talk about that maybe at some point we'll get to but this one is like right out of the gate just fucking guns blazing everything that he would set out to do is encapsulated in this movie and it's not just like the the first one that everything would build upon more obviously he would do go on to do more masterpieces but i think that this one completely stands in its own right because of everything that makes it great it's the story of like changing times you know there's this shift from the 70s to the 80s there's the 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 need to uh kind of thrive in a creative space it's the story of like the porn industry you get all these little tidbits of like the different aspects like the director and the stars and and the the drug dealers and the the pain and the the abuse and the weight of all of this shit like it just has all of it in it the the love the despair the tragedy i i can't believe that he made this when he was like what 25 years old or something like it's unbelievable that's pretty energy it's it's insane like he certain people knocks it out of the park certain people have an ability to harness cocaine in a way that we can't even <laughs> we truly cannot fathom like the way that like anyone will do cocaine and talk about ideas he did them yeah he did and the, the cocaine ideas and then it's what the way it's depicted in this movie the 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 downfall that it has like the scenes that it shows these characters just completely strung out just way 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 off in the deep end of drug use is incredible yeah. like he was onto something in unbelievable like on the pulse of this this uh, story of 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 substance abuse and the highs and the lows of it mm-hmm. to your point so, what you were saying earlier uh and whenever we first brought up uh, Magnolia, Harry, about how we've seen this story before. I feel Mm -hmm. like we have and we haven't. We've seen this arc before in movies, but the fact that, like, it was such a ballsy move that, like, he made Heart 8, which uh, was a movie that was taken away from him, and then he was like, I'm going to follow that up with something that, like, should probably be taken away from me. I'm going to make a movie (laughs) about the porn industry. And the fact that he was able to still put out his vision is just magnificent. And this movie is, it has all these big themes about like the changing of the times and everything, but it's also just a really fucking fun movie. At least the first half is. Yeah. yeah, It's a really fun time. And even whenever it does uh, reach that big critical moment with uh, Philip Baker Hall. um, No, not Philip. uh, Alfred Molina. No, 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 no. We're, um, Oh, um, William H. Yeah, Macy. Yes, with William H. I don't Love want to say it. anything in case nobody's seen uh, this 1997 uh. movie. We had it before <laughs> this year, so I won't judge anybody. Um, but whenever it reaches that moment, it's still like fun isn't the right word, but it's still really watchable. You're still on the hook at that point for just to see. And then there's that promise of you're going to see a sweet hog at the end of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> but all, all throughout, there's there's all the stuff with, with uh, John C. Riley. You know, the the 70s, like, buddy 
porn shit that they're shooting as they're blowing up. Like there's so much good stuff woven throughout Burt Reynolds, like that whole arc, uh, um, roller girl. What's her name? Uh, roller girl. Heather Graham, baby. Heather Graham <laughs> knocking it out of the park. Uh, Harry, your thoughts on boogie nights. I mean, what's so funny is that I'm agreeing with all of what y'all are saying. And I'm like, and that's why it's middle of the pack for me. Like it's no, it's like a really well done movie. I just don't really have a lot to say about it. It's just, it's, it's good. Um, I just feel like he's, isn't it crazy that this movie is like pretty much flawless and it might be like, I think it's like my third or fourth favorite PTA movie. Yeah. I I I think he's made um, more interesting movies a lot. Um, It's not like I have anything bad to say about this one. I was just like, wow, that is a satisfying vanilla ish. I know it's about porn and that's different, but like, you know, like, yeah, like it's like the rise and fall. It's an epic, you know, it's definitely a vibe I can understand. Um, I like it. It's a really good movie. It's like definitely a highlight of the movies I've seen this year. I just really, really like Magnolia. That was a trip, uh, which was, mm-hmm. it was a different experience, you know? Uh, but not, I don't want to come off like too, too blase. It's just like, I just thought Mark Wahlberg was really good. I thought all the acting was really good. It was a good movie, you know? It's a phenomenal movie. Boogie Nights. Yeah. Uh, my number three, Drew's number five, and Hunter's number four. Wow. So we're at the top two, Harry. Let's do it. All right. My number two. Uh, just, you know, for movies that just by the end just had me like, I think actually cheering in my seat, like just because of how good I felt watching it was um, Your Name. Yes. Oh, I fucking love this movie. It's so good. It really is. Like at the beginning, I'm just like, oh, this is a beautiful, well, well directed, just well realized kind of like body switching comedy. And I was in. And then when they got to this, the twist in that movie, which I don't want to get into in case you haven't seen it, you should. I I actually gasped and I was like, it it went from me being like, oh, I hope this works out to me being like, I need this to work out or I'm going to steal something and go to jail like this has to go well and by the end when they just cut to the final title it's a perfect ending it's so heartwarming it's executed so well i was i like i still remember how good i felt watching that movie it's it's just such such a well done piece of of movie making it's so good. It was in my top five of the year, the year that it came out. Like, I really want, I have the Blu-ray, but it made me cry a lot whenever I watched it the first time. I think it's when I'm, I, uh, I need to build up the emotional strength to watch it again because it's, it's fucking beautiful. Absolutely stunning movie. Great pick. Number two. My number two. We gotta, we gotta pause for a second. You know why? No. Cause we're burning down the house. <laughs> Um, oh, stop making sense. Stop making sense. 1984. Uh, um, so I had this at number one for a long time and I was like, I'm just for, I don't, I don't want to be redundant and have back to back weeks where I'm like, Hey, talking heads are good guys, but Hey, I'm going to do it. Talking heads are really fucking good guys. And they know how to put on a live show. Unlike anybody else. Um, this is by a mile by like, all the miles in the world, the best concert documentary ever made or best concert doc ever. It's directed, of course, by Jonathan Demi. Um, We sang his praises on the silence of the lambs pod. And the thing that's genius about this movie is that despite it not being 
a traditional film or even like a traditional documentary or anything like that, where there is like a set story, even saying it apart from American utopia, which has these grand themes that are being set up with these monologues. This is just David Byrne going on stage and the way that they string together the songs in this movie it creates a narrative the way that it yeah, how it starts, starts with yeah, one person it starts at a time. one by one yeah. and it works to full because it's it's showcasing like the joy of being in a band and also it's highlighting the different uh instrumentalists in the band one by one like we start out of course with just david byrne walking up there with a fucking stereo with an eight uh um a eight track like, eight track guitar uh, drum beat and him an acoustic guitar playing psycho killer. And then slowly the band members start to come on first with heaven where you just have that bass, And it really highlights that beautiful baseline that kind of can get bogged down in the mix sometimes whenever you're just listening to these songs recorded and then just kind of going through until they each come out one by one and you have the full band and there's like, 28 people mm. on stage together and, and he has a just, big gray suit it's it's a dancing with party. lamb it's it's just it's a fucking blast it showcases just the fun of going to a concert and of being in a band unlike anything else i've ever seen and unlike so many other worst concert documentaries it you can tell that it's directed by somebody who knows what they're doing like jonathan demi I didn't even realize this until uh, later on. I was like looking up some research and listening to a pod about this uh, movie and it was filmed over the course of like five shows or something like that, but it's expertly stitched together where it just feels like this building it, the way that it starts out. It was funny. Um, I remember I was watching this movie. I was watching it with my girlfriend um, as I force her to watch movies with me constantly. Um, I think she might be resenting me. I don't know. We'll save that for the Patreon episode. Divorce. Um, well bam saves my bottom saves my relationship um uh she was uh much like the audience of uh whenever the movie starts where she was just like calmly like sitting there on the couch uh because the way that this it's all taking place like in this auditorium not in like a classic uh setting like classic looking setting for where you perform a concert everybody's just like sitting there and they like do like a little clap they might like stand up after every song and then by the end of the show it shows the crowd and people are just like dancing with each other out in the aisles and oh, everything yeah, and it's a fucking party and that's how it felt like there was a certain point where i just like got up and just started dancing the first time that i watched this movie and since then i just put this on like whenever i'm just want to throw something on it's 90 minutes so it's just kind of it's perfect 88 minutes it's under your 90 minute club Ernest, and it's just something you can just throw on just listen to fucking killer talking heads you can just watch david byrne going up there one of the greatest showmans ever kind of despite himself because it's not like he's like he's a weirdo dude yeah he's a weirdo like and this isn't even like american utopia where there's as much strict choreography it's mostly him just like improvising and then doing these crazy neck movements that he does <laughs> but it's so compelling the big suit look man at him who does that screen. it's insane <laughs> it's it's just it's it's fucking perfect if you haven't seen this it's on like Tubi, uh to be or not yeah, it's a Tubi it's original on, it's on pluto tv it might still be on criterion channel it was no it's while. not it's on prime right now oh, it's that's on prime the, yeah. yeah it's on a bunch of different stuff at all it's like one of those movies that's constantly floating around from one streaming service to another so you can find it out there again even if you aren't the biggest talking heads fan 
Uh, I still think that you should check this out will this. will probably make you a It probably will, because you'll watch yeah. it. If nothing else, you can watch it, and you're just like, oh, LCD sound system owes everything to these guys. They're like, <laughs> even like Radiohead, which, I mean, of course, they named their band after a Talking Head song, but even like some of the showmanship and stuff like that with David Byrne's aesthetic, you can just tell every other band tried to do yeah. what this band was able to do white boys weren't allowed to be weird until david byrne <laughs> well it's another thing about it is because Blaze they the were trail. just like they were all art students at like a school in rhode island and yeah. then they're like hey let's make a band mm-hmm. and their use of also the um one other thing i meant to highlight before uh when we were talking about american utopia last week is like their perfect use of blending all of these different instruments together all these like world instruments that yeah, don't, musical styles. that are not traditional yeah. to rock music or even jam band music but it doesn't sound out of place it all works perfectly yeah. together so and when when the stage is full in in this thing with all of the backup singers and everything it's like all of that comes through and everybody's faces like the the energy that's captured with all of the members on stage it's like you can tell that something special yeah. is being captured here. you can tell that everybody's having fun they're like there's a point like where there's like laughing and giggling to each other it's and amazing. stuff like that like it's just it shows like how much fun it is it made me just it made me list miss live events it made me miss like playing in a band live it just it created all these feelings i mean it's just it's a beautiful beautiful thing mm. stop making sense number two drew number two have you guys heard of moonlight wow nice. um my both of my top two movies this uh they're movies that often if i wait too long to watch something when I watch it, the expectation of it being great, like goes against the movie itself because I'm just thinking about how much I'm supposed to be enjoying it. And both of my top two, like I enjoyed it even more than I was supposed to. Yeah. Uh, this this movie special. It's one of the, yeah, it's one of the very, very easily one of the 10 best movies I've ever seen in my whole life. Um, it's, it's just wildly good. Um, Jenk, the, the confidence that Jenkins has with his direction is really, really bizarre to me. Um, it, it reminds me sort of of Boogie Nights, where it's like, what is this guy fucking done? Like, who are you? Like, and he's he's just like he's moving the camera like he's been doing it for like fifty years. Yeah. Like, it's just so, it's it's a stroke of genius. Um, the color palette, you know the the writing of it is so brilliantly, it's it's rot, but it's still sparse at the same time, which goes to the the screenwriter, the same guy who wrote High Flying Birds. Uh, yeah, tell me his name if you if you Google it. Oh, the guy who yeah, yeah. It's 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 a very rare balance of screenplay where you're not you're not wanting for any more dialogue, but also it's not too much. It's I mean it's it's fucking perfect. I'm so glad this was one of the best like revisits that I've had. Yeah, it's Pharrell Alvin McCrane. Yeah, I was really high. I mean, I'd still like really love this movie the first time I saw it, but I came in with that like academy brain that I was like, Well, I saw La La Land first and I am I love Damien Chazelle, so I I think Moonlight worse. And that was stupid of me. And that yeah, was and we we did our, you know, we did our A24 bracket without me having seen this. And this is, I think, handedly the best A24 oh, yeah. movie because this is, it's just, it's one of the best, most essential, most beautiful, like impacting, universally impacting movies that I've ever seen. It just, 
it just it hits you right where it's supposed to. It's small, but it feels big, which is really rare. It's so especially for a modern indie. Like it, yeah, it's it's tiny, tiny, tiny scale. Um, but the time jumps and then I think the cohesion of the direction in general make it feel just massive. And three completely different actors playing the same person. Yeah. Three actors who don't even look very similar at all. Yeah. But Jenkins said that it's all in the eyes. Uh He was just looking at their eyes to have that same soul of the character throughout. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's one of those movies, man, where you watch and you're like, yeah, this, this, this is okay. This guy can do what he wants forever. Like do what you want, man. That's Drew's number two. My number two is Spike Lee's do the right thing. That's another one of my favorite movies ever. Yeah. (laughs) we did a big episode on this over the summer and i had never seen it before and it fucked me knocked me on my fucking ass dude watched it during the height of the george floyd protests in minneapolis and throughout the country and even throughout the world as we saw and that's kind of what this movie is about this like unfortunately uh depressingly timeless conflict between uh, black people and their oppressors, whether it's a Italian pizza shop owner or the police, um, <laughs> or just even in their own community, some of the some of the 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 tension that can come through. You know? maybe just a guy in a Larry Bird jersey who happens to live in neighborhood Hunter. <laughs> you think that's me? You think that's that? I'm that guy. If you're someone in this movie, you're that guy. <laughs> the, the different, the different. Well, sense- you know what? I'll take that over racist pizza. <laughs> Danny Ayawo, uh, the the different sensibilities that that came uh, from the legacies of Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, the two different approaches to racial justice and and the fight for racial equality, like that's what is being carried forth in this movie in this very small encapsulated yeah. story well, of this hot ass motherfucking day that, in New York City. That's the thing; it's so it's so small. It's a lot like what I just said about yeah. Moonlight, where especially this because Spike's. Story- direction it's not just like sort of hypnotizing you like barry does it is like making you like think about where the camera is at because you're like what the fuck is going on what is this man doing yeah like this this man has the balls to do this when he's not even famous yet uh it's just it's brilliance it's sheer genius it's one of those movies that just like jumps right out at you and fucking grabs you and shakes you like this thing i i was so shaken by this movie that when it hits the climax and the shit goes down that happens you know with with the the pizza shop and the fire and everything and all these other things that happen that you know if you haven't seen the movie fucking watch it but it gets pretty fucking intense i had to pause it I had to stop it for a second and gather myself because I was so affected by it, especially given the events that we saw play out with George Floyd and all these other helpless, innocent black people that keep getting murdered by the police. And the fact that um, Spike made a movie about this and made it in a way like really fun and entertaining yeah and it's, it's fun as shit and man. it's still just fucking guts it's you. so much fun until the very end yeah and it's and it's also it's not out of nowhere because the whole movie yeah. like it's when, about that when you think about it afterward you're like yeah that whole movie was tense as fuck yeah it's just it was too fun it's <laughs> exactly. the hottest day of the year and it's there's a breaking point mm-hmm. and and it's building up to it and it's it is it is one of the best 
movies just yeah. outright yeah, yeah i mean this mm-hmm. is one of my favorite movies of all time yeah it's it gets, about I, as I good as it gets you guys say it's it's perfect absolutely do the right thing my number two we're at right. the end harry number, number one. one okay so i gave us a lot of thought because again 201 movies this year which was a little high for me at the least uh but I just thought about what is the movie when I just, when I think what has stayed with me this whole time, what do I think of? Uh, for me, it's the Florida project. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, Dude, this is great. This is one of my favorite movies ever. Yeah, so it, it really, really is. is. I watched it early in the pandemic. I finally put it, it on. I've ignored it. I you. didn't even watch it when I was living in Orlando, just always let it get by me. And it just kind of, overwhelmed me with emotion yep. you know a lot of tragedy a lot of beautiful promise and and hearts and just the 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 plights of everyone in the movie just really got to me and Willem Dafoe was there to kind of keep a steady hand on the entire crew and yeah, I just I still think about it it's just something that's kind of stayed with me this whole time yeah, and it, um, I think the, it's the it's best, just wild, man. Yeah, the, the best kind of movies are the ones that just stay with you and make you feel something that you haven't felt before or in a different variation. That, And, you know, I was lucky enough to experience that this year. So, uh, yeah, it's it's gonna I'm going to watch it 100 times more. I haven't been able to, re- to revisit it. I saw it one time in theaters. It floored me. And yeah. one day I will rewatch it. But it's just one of those that's just like it's it's a lot <laughs> yeah i i've rewatched it once. i really intense. want to rewatch it now in 4k to see the colors yeah. the color palette of this movie is just the purples perfection. and the blues it's so good and like i mean i had a really like emotional breakdown while watching this movie and i remember like i my girlfriend and i whenever this came out in like 2017 we were just yeah. like oh let's go find the magic castle and stuff like that and then we got like really <laughs> sad after it because we're just like oh we're just even if we live in the same town as them we're yeah. still just like tourists to this place a world apart yeah yeah this is yeah this is one i'll just announce it now folks this is entering for 2021 my letterbox top four Hey, wow. I've, I've been thinking about it's, it a lot it's, lately. It's perfect. Um, I'm really glad that it you watched it for the first time this year because it just it's yeah, like you said, you just you just don't really stop thinking about it. Yeah, <laughs> like it's a very sticky movie. The performances that he gets out of these non actors is is wild. Sean Baker, you know, I'm mm-hmm. it's a, like a lifetime pass thing. I'm gonna see whatever he makes. Mm-hmm. He's working on something right yeah, now. I'm, I'm hoping that's gonna come. He's out been tweeting about soon. it. Uh, Florida Project. What a great pick for number yeah, one, Harry. That's pick. that's so worthy. Number one. It. My number one is. I want you to get up right now. Get up from your chair. Go out to your window. Open it up and scream. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take it anymore. Network. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Number one is network. Network. Um, <laughs> dude, this movie is perfect in every fucking way. This is like I. It's just absolutely criminal. I I know that you're a big Rocky fan, Harry. I know. Yeah. The fact yeah. that Rocky beat this is fucking idiotic. <laughs> like that is the stupidest thing that I've ever heard. You've been hanging life. on to that hey, one. Hey, Rocky. I, good. I, it's, it's good. It's good. That's fine. I just want to point out, yeah. like it, it beat that and all the president's men. And it's like, are you fucking king? That's Rocky? pretty wild. Really? Are you um, hanging on to this one? <laughs> did, yeah. This movie, for people who don't know, um, this is following um 
my guy, Peter Finch, uh, and one of the most iconic roles ever as Howard Beale, is a man who gets told that he's about to get fired uh, off of long-running evening news show. A man who uh, was hosting a City. show called The Apprentice, I believe. <laughs> oh, there's that. We'll talk about that in just a second, about how this movie is aged. Um, but he's hosting a long-running evening news show, and he's told that he's going to get fired. And so he goes on that night's news show and he announces that he's going to kill himself on live TV in two weeks. And uh, the way that he develops this occult following towards him, that people are feeding into the madness and the delusions of this man who is very mentally unwell. Um, you might be noticing in. how this movie has aged well. Um, not only... Is it just trying to speak? Has it aged? Because one, this is a beautiful satire from Sidney Lumet, uh, which 12 Angry Men also just almost made my list by him because that was a movie that I had just revisited for the first time um, in a really long time. But he is capturing into this feeling of like what it is to be an American. And this isn't just about Trumpism. This is about how any person that is like, that is sick that we just all buy in. Think about Kanye and like how just like Twitter has a fucking uh, uh, orgasm every time that he's just like, oh, Kanye is going off the deep end again. What's he doing now? It's like it's the we shock should be of it. getting this person like actual help for their problems. Um, aside from the general themes of this movie that have aged really well, it's really fucking funny. The humor is held up great. Um, the cast, I mentioned Peter Finch, but Faye Dunaway, William Holden, Robert Duvall, Ned Beatty are just like the A-listers of their time. And they are bringing it in an unbelievable way in a way that I've never seen either any of them give this great of a performance before. It's so good. Have you guys both seen this, uh, Ernest and Harry? Of course. Yeah. Okay. I figured, uh, Harry, you also had because you work in the journalism news industry of it all. And this yeah, is kind of I will like admit though, it's been a it's been a very long time since I've seen it. Like I, I saw this in time. college, um, and yeah. of all the movies I watched in college, this is one of the ones that stuck with me the most. It's I, it, like it is a movie that like I have not thought about it. Like I think about it almost every single day since I've seen this movie because you can just wow. see how this movie has affected not only uh pop culture but how the seeds of it still run still simmer throughout our society today and it's the 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 whole dilemma that the executives have over like what to do about this man who is drawing so many eyeballs to their network and how much danger it yeah. poses to to feed that potential <laughs> it's, of it's Fox News money. in 2016. <laughs> um, another one of the lines that is just aged fucking beautifully is uh, there is no America. There is no democracy. There is only IBM and AT&T and DuPont, Dow, Union Carbide and Exxon. And that's just like something that's just like just age it was if they thought that was an issue in 1976 oh boy what would sydney lumet think about the world now that is just entirely <laughs> run by massive mega mega billion dollar corporations that control every political interest that is out there and it taps into aside from people kind of the the easier comparison which is uh comparing um 
Peter Finch to Donald Trump, his character, at least uh, Howard Beale. Also tapping into that societal feeling of like, I'm angry and I don't know how to fix this, but I want to, I need to get out my scream. anger in some kind of way. You need to just scream sometimes. And, yeah. and that's something that was also good. Like while we were in this quarantine, like I was like, I don't know how to fucking make a vaccine to fix all this, but I'm mad. And I just like want to, I have a ball of anxiety and frustration towards the world. I, I watched this also around the same time as all the riots were taking place. And it's like, I know that something needs to be done. And I know that like, I need to think of steps to take this out. But the first step to doing that is expressing this anger and frustration and not letting it simmer inside of you anymore. And it's, it, it's just, it's a perfect movie in every fucking way. It's aged incredibly network. Number one, Drew, not a ton to say. It's just, there will be blood. Um, yeah hell yeah which again it had that weight to it when i watched it where i was like is this really like gonna be that great give me the blood yeah and the really from that opening sequence which is like i think i want to say like almost like 15 minutes without a single line of dialogue um and yet the camera is so confidently fixated on maybe the most confident performance I've ever seen in my life by Daniel Day Lewis that you don't for a second you, not for a second are you like yeah maybe I'll check my phone <laughs> like it's just not gonna fucking happen bro even though he's just very like painstakingly step by step like finding uh oil like it's yeah. it's not anything that's necessarily entertaining again this isn't a movie i would necessarily like in any uh respect in any fashion because it you know it's a period piece about a very uh typical sort of like masculine pursuit is just like like finding your nut in the world um but it's it's done so masterfully and it doesn't portray that as like a noble pursuit and i think that's sort of the key ingredient here is that uh daniel day lewis is just an absolutely fucking despicable man in this fucking movie um, and again, with all, all the meme stuff that goes toward his performance, and I think it, it, it really comes down to a sort of alchemy between him and PTA where and like, Paul Dano. Oh, of course, Paul Dano. But like the way that he, the way that Daniel Day speaks is not, uh, based on anything, any particular reality. Like there, you know, he had been sent, I know, uh, PTA sent him clips of old like oil maven speaking and like people just like speaking about old oil maven like just like old recordings of people talking and yet it also has this like transatlantic flair to it that you would just see in old movies alone this is my son hw yeah it's just it's just <laughs> it's one of those performances my child that like my boy in a vacuum it doesn't make sense and yet on screen it's like so absolutely electric and magnetic and the entire movie is like that to me it just uh johnny greenwood does the score it's it's just it's flawless uh it's it's you know it's unfaultable it's it's incredible um it's sort of it reminds me of inglorious bastards in that way where like it, even though inglorious bastards is much less agreed upon as like the opus even though I think it's very handedly the opus I of Tarantino. Um, it just, it's one of those things where you watch it and you're like, this is him doing everything right. This is PTA doing everything that he could do. Agreed. Number one. Yeah. Great movie. All right. My number one is Avatar The Last Airbender. Nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> we did a whole podcast on this. Harry, you were on yeah. there. Mm -hmm. Lee was on there. 
we shared our best moments, best episodes, favorite characters, all that. So you can go back and listen to that. This thing is going to be a part of my soul for the rest of my life. And I can't wait to probably watch it every year. Like I'm already planning a rewatch this year around summertime. Um, Lee and I are just like withholding ourselves at this point from not doing it too early on and just like kind of letting it, letting the space breathe a little bit before we dive back in again. Uh, but this is just a incredible piece of art. Calling it a Nickelodeon cartoon is extremely uh, Dis- dismissive. Uh, dismissive yeah. of of the the beauty that this thing mm-hmm. is offering about what it means to be alive and what it means to be conscious and uh, the the toll of of struggle and 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 consciousness and 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 fate and war and turmoil and friendship and all of these incredible themes that 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 dominate society and life and goddamn i just i cannot get enough of it it is just fucking perfect it's It's i I uh, knew that this was going to probably be it was gonna at least be in your top three i didn't Um, think about it good point it's uh i mean yeah i tried to live my life how general ira would every day (laughs) and just be at peace with everything yes and just make tea. Yeah, just make some tea. Just chill out with my tea. Zuko, you need to learn the ways of it's, the dragon breath. True. Have you seen the show? It's so fucking good. It's it's sort of like the spiritual successor to like SpongeBob. Yeah, but is any of this making sense what? while we're talking? I haven't seen the show. Um, it's perfect. No, and I mean, hey, we're at the end of the list, but I mean, honorable mention to Cora. Cora is a very, Great. very good show. Thank you. Uh, the incredible highs. The yeah. highs of Cora are like, uh, honestly, like on par, if not just a not like the slightest notch above hmm. Avatar. It's just, it's a little bit less consistent of a show overall, but I, also a fucking beautiful show. I, I adore it. It's, it is just one of those things that you can put on the Mount Rushmore of of art you know it's just up there like to me avatar like stands up there with like something like the mona lisa it is just it is fucking unbelievably good um a couple honorable mentions before we wrap up uh i mentioned james cameron earlier i watched aliens for the first time this year and i I, it was one of those where like I had seen it before, but I it just didn't have an impact right. on me. So I, I wasn't like completely sure if I wanted to put on and I wanted to give more of the shout out to The Abyss. But that's another like fucking perfect movie. Um, also, The Silence of the Lambs is another one of those Whoa, that we've talked about it a lot. Yeah. But I mean, I kind of had seen it before yeah. in a way. It just like these sometimes like movies when you watch them too young right they yeah, don't yeah, make yeah, enough of an that. impact to like remember them but uh i just decided to leave it out of my list just because we we've already talked about it a lot and it's it's you know it's yeah. amazing uh the west wing i'm still getting through it but uh i'm like on season four i, I love it it's amazing it's a fantasy <laughs> uh it could never be a real thing but i love it and uh uh, there's, I mean, there's a whole bunch. I'll put my letterbox list on here uh, for everyone to check out the long list. But yeah. I put on uh, Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Speed Racer, Princess Bride, The Conversation, um, Talented Mr. Ripley, Saturday Night Fever, Poltergeist, the Austin Powers trilogy, uh, Miami Vice, 
a lot of good hey, stuff. Miami Vice banger. Um, even if it's fucking nonsense, I still love that movie. Um, couple others for me. Uh, I mentioned that I got into foreign films. A couple ones that I really want to highlight. Uh, Les Samurai, um, the Jean mm. Perry Melville film is incredible. Stalker, uh, The Seventh Seal, Ingmar Bergman film, 400 Blows. A um, couple other ones. Uh, I didn't, I just nudged it off because I remembered that I saw uh, Heat this year and I just wanted to talk about Heat. I just talked about this filmmaker uh, about a month or two ago, but uh, I got into Sofia Coppola this year, Lost in Translation and The Virgin Suicides, both of which are exceptional movies. Um, the Third Man, uh, the Carol Reed 1949 film that really set the stage for what a uh, kind of mystery crime film would be for the next couple decades beautiful orson um, wells right uh yeah it's um yeah orson wells is in there um when we were kings uh one of the greatest sports documentaries ever made about a rumble in the jungle fight with muhammad ali is incredible uh invasion of the body snatchers a serious man uh rushmore i hadn't i think i'd see i definitely have seen it before but it, first time going back in a while and then punch drunk love video drill um wild at heart uh i just want to mention a quick little anecdote that i'll never forget watching this movie because i watched it exactly one year ago today and i know that because i was in the middle of watching the movie and drew sent me a text message that said kobe bryant had died (laughs) right while i was in the middle of watching wild at heart and i think i I kind of want to rewatch the movie now because like i couldn't really finish like i was in kind of a state of disarray that was a year ago a year ago today damn as of recording this r.i.p kobe any uh honorable mentions harry oh man are you gonna publish your letterbox list long Uh, list absolutely is there a way to do that yeah, make it <laughs> make it public, dude. Publish it with your newspaper. <laughs> I know. <laughs> your new article is just your list. You know, I do want to say just to keep on the on the um, George Miller thing. Uh, I really, really enjoyed a uh, Babe Pig in the City, um, <laughs> which again is a genuinely great movie. I know these sound like irony or contrarian picks, but that is a batshit movie uh, that's that's visually stunning. George Miller is an incredible visual, has an incredible eye for framing and and just composition. And um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this kind of big adventure of watching more than 200 movies. I don't know if I'll do it this year, but who knows? It's early yet. Uh, Drew, any... Shout outs, honorable mentions. I, I defer my time for the listeners' hey, sake. Let's shout wrap out it to up. Matchstick Man. Shout out to friend of the show, Brian. Oh, that was a good movie. Great movie. Man. Yes. Really we're gonna do movie. we're gonna do a whole Nick Cage series uh inspired by that movie where we started wondering, huh, this guy, this guy Cage, he he's kind of got it. <laughs> um, thank you, Harry, for coming on. Oh, glad we're gonna I love you. being here. We're gonna have you on for another episode um with another special sayer friend yeah (laughs) um a movie draft coming up so stick around for that stick around for more cool stuff some new movies coming out and the nick cage series around the corner um thank you for listening thank you for stopping by please recommend the show please rate review subscribe email us follow us donate thank you to all the donors for donating y'all are beautiful Thanks again, Harry. We'll see you next time. 
and stop making sense. Bye-bye. Watch Happy Feet 2.